on episode 50 of Pixel Gaiden. We forget to acknowledge that it's episode 50. Controls that ruin video games. Tim talks about the Neo Geo. And Eric plays with his new joystick. Kentucky Fried Chicken news. And three new systems came out last month. We discuss six good ninja games. Lots of news. And lots of video game action. Yep. Stay It is 2021, thus COVID is gone and everything is back to normal. Oh, joy! I think. <laughs> Something like that. Looking around, I don't know. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing all right, but you seem a little different, Cody. You seem to have a more uh, robust cut of your jib. <laughs> did you... Did you... I think maybe you did. Did you... yippee ki mother trucker! <laughs> I honestly don't know what you're talking about right now, Eric. Didn't you watch Die Hard? <laughs> oh, yes, I did watch Die Hard. Yes. That's what I'm saying. You got a little more gravitas ah, I see what you... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm ready to um, throw on a a wife beater and blow some stuff up now. Yeah. So, Excellent. No, it I was quite tell. good. My wife uh, actually watched it with me, so... Uh, yeah. I, I will concur. It is a Christmas movie, as much as Home Alone is a Christmas movie. Absolutely, 100%. So I knocked that off my uh, my uh, New Year's resolution list. Uh, it's not a bad movie at all. I so, actually enjoy watching it every couple years. Yeah, well, I think I might start watching that every Christmas. You know, I've got to have a Christmas thing. So <laughs> my, my, my New Year's resolutions were, one, watch Die Hard, and two, play Sam's Journey on the C64. So I'm halfway done. How, <laughs> how are you doing on yours? I, I, I have to admit I took off to play some Soul Force. Yeah, um, yeah, but I think I'm. I think I left about halfway through Sam's journey. So I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna get at it for sure. Any New Year's resolutions that you're working on? Um, just the same one as last year, <laughs> <laughs> which is try to participate more in online stuff like watching YouTube and subscribing to more YouTube channels. Because I really, when I get home, I don't I don't want to get on any modern computers at all. I, like I just don't. <laughs> So I don't, I, I don't do that. I don't get on discord. I don't, it's like I, I, my new year's resolution is to try to be on discord more, try to, try to, you know, subscribe more to YouTube and watch. Cause there's a lot of interesting content. I, I, just I love how like the vast majority of the nation is having issues with like not being able to <clears throat> separate, excuse me, from YouTube and videos and online interaction. And our resolutions are like, let's try to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to do more because I, I mean, I am still heavy in the podcast, even when I even though I don't drive as much, I'm still listening to podcasts and I still enjoy them much more. But, you Absolutely. know, there's a lot of like our buddy Tenmark, uh, you know, Doug and, and and a lot of other people have really great content and I'm, I'm missing it all. Well, people don't need to hear us jibber jabber that much longer, Eric. Let's go ahead and jump right into some quick questions. Quick questions. So I have a question for you if you can remember this far back i know I will, for me it's kind of tough i'll put on um, my uh, thinking cap what's your first memory of pirating software arg <laughs> pirating <laughs> software if you can't recall what is a solid early memory 
Um, so I might have talked about this on the show before, but so I don't I I was so young when we first got our Mac Plus, which was our my first experience with a computer. I mean, I, I had an NES before that, but you couldn't pirate software on a Nintendo. Um, well, I guess if you tried really hard, you could, but not a six year old. Um, but, uh, I guess without knowing it, we were because my mom would just magically somehow come home, um, and have discs and put them on our computer and they would have new games on our computer. And then the discs would go back to, from when, whenever they came and we had a bunch <laughs> of new games to play. And so I just thought, I didn't know if she, I thought she bought them or if I thought that she, um, at just games on computers were free. I don't know what I thought exactly. Um, so I would say the almost the entire my entire time growing up uh, using a Macintosh, just games showed up and they were free and that's what it was. But it, I guess technically my mom was a dirty pirate. <laughs> she was your pirate source. <laughs> and then I think it hit a point later in my life when I when it kind of clicked when I we did have a um, a nicer Macintosh. I think it was the the Centris at this point, and uh, Dark Forces had come out the Star Wars game. Yeah, and my uh, cousin had had a copy of it, and uh, he brought it over, and it was during like a family, like a Christmas family event, and I went upstairs and just started playing the thing during our family event. And of course, my mom's like, "Just copy it onto the computer, and you can play it later." Like you're not supposed to play it here, and I'm like, "It doesn't work that way." And then I realized my mom was in the same mindset still that everything we get on physical media we can just put on our computer. And now it exists there. Um, which of course they had things, um, like CD keys and things like that, where you needed the dish to play the game moving forward. You couldn't just copy it onto the computer. So I guess that was it. So nothing that I knew, knew that I was aware of doing. Right. You've kind of told us your memories before, but I'll I'll hear them again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, quickly, my first home computer was the VIC 20 and I, I actually didn't pirate much on there. I, I bought a lot of the stuff, and I on the carts? typed in a lot of stuff out of the magazines. Those big so, old chunky like VHS tape carts that you shoved in the back? That's right. That's right. So yeah. I didn't pirate on my first computer, but when I got the Commodore 64, the floodgates were wide open. And <laughs> and I the, I think the first real experience I remember having is I had a – there was a guy that I, I met on a BBS, and his, name, his, his handle was Garfield, like Garfield the Cat. <laughs> and – he li- when I when we got to chatting online, I found out he lived maybe about ten miles away. So I had my parents drive me over there, and I, I brought two boxes of empty strangers discs, and uh, <laughs> just went on a copying spree. And then I had these files, and then I went on BBSs, and that began the that was the spark. I like started trading those games for other games, and then I went back to his house and was able to give him some new games. And, there you go, repay the favor, and, and it just it it was like an avalanche from there. And then your life rolled out of control into uh, cocaine and uh, <laughs> pleasure, pleasures of the flesh and all kinds of terrible things, Eric. Uh, look what just started with a little bit of uh, copying that floppy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I have a question for you, my friend. Uh, and oh, In fact, one, oh. this is a new thing we're doing here. Uh, as you guys know, we'll give our, our show information shortly. Uh, but we have a Discord server that we uh, are piggybacking with the Amigas Retro Video Game Network, of which we are a part. Um, so if you are a Patreon member, you get access to that. And uh, we are going to ask a question from now on to our Discord server to get some feedback. So the question I asked, including to you, Eric, is any games uh, that you would love to play, like you physically want to play the, the, the game itself, the software, but the control method itself prevents you from enjoying it? 
I'll mention two two that are really quick because I know we got some people uh, that were on Discord. And by the way, if you are a Patreon subscriber, please let me know if you're not on the Discord because we would love to have you there. And there's a lot of great discussions and you have access to the whole Amigos Discord. So please let 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 me know. But my two quick ones, the first one is that came to mind immediately was my neighbor really um, said he loved uh, Super Mario Sunshine. Okay, and yeah. And and I wasn't a big into big 3D Mario, but I decided to try and play it. And the camera control was so bad that I could not play it. And it was a bummer because I actually went and bought an original of that. Um, I just could not get around the controls on that game, even more so than, than the first 3D Mario game, which I, I never really loved, but it was okay. I, it, I didn't really have too much complaints about the controls. Um, and then so the that was thing, GameCube, right? So the controller itself was great, but just the control method of the camera. That's right. Fighting the camera the whole game. I gotcha. Fighting the camera the whole game. The second one is a, a much more general one is that in on platforms on the Commodore 64, I do not like that you have to press up. I think it's, I mean, it is oh, a yeah, limitation yeah, yeah. of the controller. And so the nice thing about modern, modern devices is that I, you know, Ben Jedwards had built me a, joystick that has a button for that just just mapped to up so that i can jump in games um and then now on the mister when i play c64 games i can easily map a different button on whatever stick i'm using so that to me fixes that problem but that was even when i was younger i just didn't like platforms on the 64 that much because i didn't like up for jump that's surprising to me because like you said you grew up grew up with it i figured it was just because i'm used to nintendo and up where they had a separate button that going right. back to the joystick method where a lot of systems back then, you know, computers up was jump. Right. I thought that was just yeah. me, but it's, uh, warms my, my heart to hear you uh, say that you have the same <laughs> issue. Um, Misery loves company. So we have a few, uh, discord, uh, patrons that uh, wrote in on this topic. Ram. Okay. Ram. Okay. Uh, said specifically defender on the arcade machine. I know I'm supposed to love it a lot as a bona fide retro gamer, but the controls just made me mad. And I can confer, uh, I agree. <laughs> yeah, Defender Defender was a quarter eater. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked the visuals on Defender, but I would never say it was a great game. Like, I mean, it's a good game, but, and it's... But have it's, you played it, the arcade, the Activision Arcade? Yeah, with the buttons only, right? I mean... It's not just buttons, it's bizarre. In fact, yeah. Mitsuyama also wrote in and piggybacked yeah. on that. Um, I don't know if he read it before or had it come to his mind separately, but... He says, uh, Defender in the arcade was just something I could never handle. Having up, down on the joystick, and then a button for reverse was just madness. <laughs> That's crazy, I agree. Add to that the separate buttons for fire, thrust, smart bomb, and hyperspace, and having them spread across the entire control panel in no logical order just made the game unplayable for me. This put me off of Defender and its clones for life. Um, now, I think it's funny that he says, and its clones, because... So I played I played Defender on, like... Uh, Atari and NES before I ever played an, on the arcade, and there it just right. made sense. Up, down, left, right, and shoot. Like It, it made sense. So yeah. when I saw the arcade and had the, the reverse button, who decided to put reverse to switch directions? That's the most... I, I can't understand how that game became popular in the arcades. Right. I don't understand it because of that yep. control method. Uh, Josh Malone, also known as 48K Ram, says, Grim Fandango's tank controls... Eric, you might relate to this. Were notoriously awful back in the day, but they fixed that in the remaster. 
Also, Centipede and Missile Command were the opposite, which I find interesting, Eric. Yeah. Uh, I can't hardly stomach the control home computer conversion now that I know the arcade cab works. Oh, how how the arcade cab works. Driving yeah. a cursor around the screen with a joystick should be considered torture under national law. <laughs> <laughs> that is tough. And yeah, I forgot about that because I don't... That, it, that ruined Resident Evil for me was the tank controls. The tank like, controls, I, I just, yeah. I did not like that. So that's a good... Actually, is a good one because I, I agree with that. Yeah. So did you answer this? You haven't answered yet. I have not answered it yet. Um, and I'm going to be completely honest. After reading all these, I completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> um, and we haven't even started drinking I yet. know, right? I'm trying to get to the beer. I'm just trying to hurry to the beer. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a number of, of games like this. Um, but for me, typically, it's it's home console stuff and just the way that they, uh, they decided to... Um, I, I, I'm going to go with up for jump, Eric. I'm going to go with up for jump. <laughs> That's a good one. It's a general thing that it affects a lot of games on the C64 and other consoles. And in fact, I mean, I'm going to take, other I'm gonna take it one, one step further uh, I'll, I'll yeah. to differentiate it. Uh, racing games back on the Commodore and those computers, up for go. Yeah. That up for accelerate. Me. You're always holding forward and having to like tilt your joystick. Not only is this like destroying your physical joystick, right? but having to do that while you're trying to do like tight, intricate sections while holding forward the whole time and like rolling it back. Now, I say no. There's my I there's agree. my decision. Uh, therefore, most things on the Amiga, which I need to have my NES control pad modified for <laughs> to play. That is quick questions, Eric. Um, let's go ahead and tell the listeners where they can get a hold of us. So, if you want to find show information, you're going to go to pixelguiden.com. If you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me, Eric Nelson, at Dell Project, D-U-H Project. You can reach the show at at pixel underscore Gaiden. You can reach Cody at at oddball, which is ODDBA1149. You can reach Tim at sanction, at S-A-N-X-I-O-N. Please review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast catcher that you use. That would be really helpful for us. And if you want to email us, you can email at podcast at pixelguiden.com. And we do encourage feedback we also have a Patreon account set up, so if you wish to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. You can support us with as little as a dollar all the way up to infinite dollars. If you do so, you'll get access to the Amigos Retro Network Discord server, where all kinds of cool chat is happening about not only our show, but the other shows such as Bright Castle and, of course, the Amigos, um, amongst other shows. And there's various other topics in there. Um, everything from for sale to music to uh, high score contests, things like that. If you support us at the $3 or more tier, we like to announce every supporter at that level here on the show in a way that we can only do here on Pixel Guide and using our random adjective generator. And this month, we have for you a fairy tale. This is a recording of Pixel Guidenia, a golden book story as read by Cody Hoffman. When you hear the chime, please turn the page. A long time ago, in a land not too far from here, there lived an exuberant little mouse named Mitsuyama. One day, while he was working in his front garden, two crows came along. A very ludicrous one named Anthony Stiller, and a very inquisitive one named Ramoke Ramoke. Well, the little mouse knew that no good could come of this, so he went inside and called up three of his good friends. 
a mighty mole named Maciej Sosnowski, a funny little gerbil named Paradroid, and a tired hamster named Team Grey all the way. Well, the three friends rushed right over, and they scared those crows away. To keep this from happening again, they built three scarecrows together. The first one looked very venomous, so they named it Mr. Toast. The second one was a little sloppy. They named it David Modelak. And finally, they created a disastrous one named Eric Sandrin. After a good night's sleep, the little mouse decided to head up to his parents' house. It would be quite an adventure to get there, so he headed down to the creek. When he got there, he saw three more of his friends. A drunk toad named 10-Minute Mega Retrocast. A foolish frog called David Vincent. And a rampant tadpole who went by the name Daniel James. The three friends fashioned a small boat made out of a leaf and some twigs. And the little mouse headed out on his way. While cruising down the creek, two dragonflies came to visit. An outstanding purple one named Josh Malone and a smoggy yellow one called Matthew Ackerman. Excuse me, said the little mouse. Do you know where my parents' house is? Apparently that mouse was quite dumb. The dragonflies pointed the way and the mouse continued on his journey. After a long while, the ground turned to sand and the lush green foliage gave way to open sea air. The mouse came upon two crabs a steady hermit crab named Gary Heather, and a draconian sand crab who called himself Dustin Newell. Have you seen my parents? said the little mouse. Are you stupid or something? said the crabs. You've gone way too far. Once you passed this anonymous Roy Fielding's house, you should have turned back. The little mouse was crestfallen, and he wept, and he wept. Just then, a panicky seagull named Henrik Lothal swooped down and grabbed that little mouse. He flew off with his maw crunching on bone, his beak tearing at flesh, until he happily swallowed that mouse whole. Just one blue shoe was left behind on the sandy beach. The end. Big thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. And this coming up here is favorite part of my show is the opening the beer. The opening, opening of, of the, the beer. beer. And this is a beer that you picked. You want to describe what it is? Well, actually, I didn't pick this one. Uh, oh, okay. My, my buddy, if you remember John from down the street, joined yeah. us for one episode, uh, gave me this as a, a, a gift to the show for us to enjoy this together. Um, but before I g- explain this one, I noticed that we have three beers out today, Eric. Yes, we R- do. Rather than our normal two. Why would that be? Because my wife has joined us. Hello Hello there, Jennifer. Hello. Jennifer, my wife, known as my wife, is here. (laughs) I'm trying to judge your reaction. (laughs) I noticed he's been referring to me as the wife on Twitter. The wife? The wife. Not my wife. The wife. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are a a fellow beer connoisseur with a slightly different palate than your husband. Definitely. Than the husband. (laughs) 
Just give give us an idea. What are some of your favorites so we understand where we're coming from here? I tend to love porters and stouts. Those are my favorites. Um, I really enjoy a brown ale. Uh, it's very hard to find them here, though. There's only a couple. Uh, you know, lagers and pilsners are great. They have their place, though, for me. They're more light drinking, summer by the pool, it's hot, but I'll always pick a porter and stout. So I like dark and thick and that bitterness of a chocolate. Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, the, well, it's the right time of year for you then. So what John got us here is another beer from Jackrabbit Brewing Company. And uh, this is a special one. <laughs> it is, uh, in fact, it's called the Elvis Special. And they are calling it a Dunkelweizen, or Dunkelweizen, I, sh- I guess I'd pronounce it properly, right? Um, which I believe is, a, I guess, a mix between a dark German beer known as a Dunkel and a, another German beer, which a wheat beer, called a Hefeweizen, right? I think, I think that's right. Um, and for better or worse, uh, there is a picture. It doesn't really explain, well, I guess it does explain a little bit, but there is a picture of, of the king on here in his Las Vegas... Uh, studded attire tuxedo attire and um a banana and peanut butter <laughs> yeah which which intrigues me because i mean i we, there is a banana bread beer that i really like from wells and we have had several peanut butter stouts on the show so when when, when you gave this to me i was like i'm gonna give this a good try because this has all the potential to be pretty good there is a interesting description on the side of the can saying they based this off of his favorite sandwich, which was the banana and peanut butter. They say they added peanut flour and 200 pounds of bananas in the kettle. Wow. Yeah. With the German yeast. So I'm the one who found the banana bread beer years ago and we really like it. So I'm very interested by this. Yeah. Love it. Are we ready to open this bad boy? Let's crack this open. Give it a, a hearty pour. Now, unlike um, the one Tim Tim gave us before, we don't need to do a hard pour down the center. Do you remember that? It told you to pour it hard down the center? I do remember that. <laughs> so I'm going to let my beautiful, beloved wife take the first sip there. But it its color is kind of a caramelly color. No, we got to do our cheers first. So oh, she cheers, knows what's yeah. going on. Cheers. So- cheers. Oh. Is that, do you think that's supposed to be caramel? Yeah. Is it caramel? Well, there's like a picture of kind of oozing down the side of the can. But it says peanut butter, and that would make sense because of the we peanut butter bananas. We should mention Jackrabbit is a local brewery, and we've been there. Yeah. They're really, I, I really enjoy them. Yeah. Every time we've been to, well, we've been there twice mm. to Jackrabbit, and they have a very good selection of beer, and it's usually very okay. good. This is very interesting. All right. So I'm going <laughs> to take a sip. We're sipping from the same uh, cup. I was I was deathly afraid by the two hundred pounds of bananas. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it's okay. It's not. It's very. I find the banana really subtle. Glowing I, review. It's okay. <laughs> oh no, the banana part's okay. I didn't. I don't feel like it's overdone. Um, I don't know that I'd run out and and ask for this beer over and over. But if someone gave it to me, I would. I would drink it. It's it, interesting. It, it, the peanut, but, the peanut butter is heavier than the banana, which is probably for the best. But it's still, they're both not heavy. But that's interesting. Do you actually taste peanut butter or are you tasting peanut? Probably just peanut. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, is, it, it has an interesting smell, too. It does. It's almost like um, when I, 
what I would say is like, uh, I smell that smell in like Thai food restaurants, like, because <laughs> like, yeah, like the like peanut, peanut oil stuff, but it, they make what they uh, cook with a lot of peanut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it almost smells like sesame oil and peanut oil, like sesame yeah. oil. Have you, yes. Yeah. Which I just fried an entire turkey in uh, peanut oil. I'm very, oh, wow. <laughs> I'm very familiar with the smell. So you get to pick the uh, rating system for us all, all right. three to, um, to do. Didn't, didn't he, he passed away in 82, 81? I it was 77. It was 77 or 76. Uh, now we got to do some math here. Um, <laughs> because, hold on, let me just, El, uh, Elvis. Uh, Good old Elvis. Well, let me look it up here. Cause we got to get this August, right. I think it was August 77? 16th, 77. All right, so I think we should do it out of 77 um, porcelain thrones. <laughs> porcelain thrones? All right. Yeah. That's tragic. Uh, <laughs> you had to go well, there. come on now. Come on now. All right, 77 You got to go somewhere in some time. People thrones. aren't, aren't going to remember where most people die. Do you want to rate that first, Cody, since it's your offering? Sure, why not? I'm going to go ahead and just throw out a meh. So I'll, <laughs> I'll give it a... I'll give it a 45 out of 77 thrones. Very ahead, drinkable. Yeah, I mean, I'm leaning towards about a 60. I, I, I like it. Yeah. I think it's all right. I'm going to say uh, 58. 58 porcelain oh, thrones. You, that's, not, that's not too bad. All right. Well, there you go. There's our, uh, our first review of the month, Eric. And the first yep. review of the year, actually. That, that being said. The first review so. of the year? Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. By the way, my wife is the wife. Is, my uh, wife. The wife is the one who picks a lot of the beers we have on the show. So, I mean. All, the, all the good ones. All the good ones, yeah. <laughs> well, I remember specifically last month he told me about all the great Christmas beers you got. And we got one bad one that Eric chose. And that's what that's he decided. That's the only one he chose. Yeah, the that's the one, one he decided to bring, was, yeah, bring on the show. The bad one was the one I chose. She chose all the other really he, great ones. He was so skeptical, too. I kept saying, <laughs> let's let's get this one. Let's get, and he's, no, 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 no. And I'm like, trust me. You got to trust me. I'm reading the description. And I'm, I nailed it. Each one of them. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, thank you much. And, One more uh, sip for you there. Yeah, thank you, guys. And good luck on the next Nancy Drew game when it comes out. Well, happy New Year. <laughs> happy New Year to you. Bye. Reporting the news! Eric, it is time for the news. Uh, a month worth of... Uh, Time has gone by. I'm sure there's plenty of good news to talk about here, right? I hope so. <laughs> I could use it. You could, you know. I could. All right. Well, let me go ahead and uh, make sure I'm sharing my screen here. So Eric and I, if we haven't mentioned it yet, are still doing our COVID distance learning, where, yeah. <laughs> where Eric is a uh, three miles and 300 miles away from my heart. Um, but item number one in the news... I bring up now, and Eric, you'll be excited to hear about this if you haven't, one of our favorite games. In fact, your game of the year, uh, 2019. Yeah. Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is getting an update, um, and it will actually come out yesterday. Well, January 14th, which is yesterday as far as when this recording gets released. Um, And it's going to bring in a new mode called Classic Mode, in which our best gal, Miriam, will get to do her best Belmont impression um, let's see, classic mode, it's a full new, essentially a full new short 16-bit style game rest- reminiscent of Castlevania titles from the early 1990s. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, and that's free to us when it releases. We just update it. So that's fantastic because I'd, I'd love to get back to that. I got to admit, I got a little deflated because I was very close to beating that game. And then you told me you beat one of the paths and it was kind of um, anticlimactic, I guess. Or there were multiple endings or something and you didn't get like, I, I can't remember exactly, but I just decided I was going to move on to something else. I oh. love the game, though. Yeah, you could you could like kind of beat it and then the right. game just ended but then it kind of tells you why you didn't get the best ending and you can keep going further and further. So if you gotcha. beat it without going too far into it, it's pretty easy and you're only about halfway through the game at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I really wish they just... I mean, it basically kills you. If you beat it, it just kills you and says, well, your your path ends here because you didn't do everything. Gotcha. But then you can go, just go back to the last save and keep playing. Um, also, however, in this new patch, there's going to be a new area introduced to the overall game called The Deadlands. Um, which is going to be part of a limited time crossover with uh, a game called Kingdom Two Crowns, which I don't know what that is, but yeah, I've never heard of an, that before. Yeah, it's cool that they're adding uh, new content to it, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, um, I also just want to mention really quick on the Nintendo Switch, um, they released something we never thought we'd see, which is the original. Fire Emblem game that was released on the Japanese-only Famicom system. Uh, that game never did come out in English in either uh, Europe or America. So this is the first time the game has ever been officially uh, translated and released. So you can buy the original Fire Emblem game called Shadow Dragon on the Switch for five ninety nine now, which I think is super cool. Oh, that is interesting. I, I love Fire Emblem games. Uh, I have to admit, I've I've I haven't played any of the really old, you know the the original ones or the uh, or older ones. I've played more modern ones. I think I started Fire Emblem on the 3DS, and then I did get the GameCube one and played that one, and I love those games. I, I've wanted to jump into them because they seem like they'd be perfect. Uh, they're my bag, if you will. But yeah, um, Actually, I did load up the Famicom original, but um, even the patches that tried to translate it were pretty terrible, and you couldn't read half the words. So I might pay six bucks and try the original. I heard it's very difficult. Oh, but, okay. Um, which I think the more recent ones are more user-friendly, but nonetheless. you got the next topic. You can see my screen now, right, Eric? I can see it, yeah. Okay. Um, speaking of dragons. Mm. Thank you for the transition, Eric. My mistake. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, Nox Archaist, I think is how you pronounce it. Ar- Archaist or Archaist? I vote Archaist. Yep, I'm going to say Archaist. The long-awaited Apple II RPG has been launched. And I remember when this came out, um, there was, I think, it was either a Kickstarter or Indiegogo or something like that for it. And I was very close to pulling the trigger, but I just wanted to wait until it it got closer to coming out, seeing if it was something I really wanted. But it it is an Apple II game, plays on real Apple IIs, or it is bundled with a, a, a USB thumb drive that has the emulator already all set up for you, and you plug it in, and it's a it's a game kind of um, reminiscent of Ultima, like oh, yeah. Ultima Four, Ultima uh, Three, um, games like that, and it is available now. But it comes with feelies up the wazoo. So we got maps, we got trinkets and coins we got a little usb thumb drive that looks like a floppy disk um just all the goodies that came with a game like ultima 4 is included with this narc nox archaist if you get the full um the full boxed version which i think is pretty expensive but 69 dollars I mean, it says 
Yeah. So, and it's 20 bucks or 19 bucks with just the digital version. Now, I think I'm looking at this and I remember when you brought over your Ultima box from when you were a kid and it had like mm-hmm. an onk in it and it had a cloth map. And this has yep. the coin, which is solid metal coin and a cloth map, very colorful and all kinds of cool gadgets, a little letter with a wax seal on it, a crystal yep. for some reason. I mean, this thing looks legit. Um, yep. For $69, that's pretty, pretty expensive, but you're getting, you know, the, a classic video game experience when you buy this thing. You know, games back then were forty nine ninety nine. Right. With with um, inflation, this is probably about the same price. There's and, even uh, a, there's even a ninety nine dollar one that is the collector's edition. Comes with even more stuff. Oh, I, I take it back. You're right. That one does come with the cloth map and the coin of the realm and crown jewel right there. Okay. Yep. Otherwise, you get um, the box and a paper map in the yeah. other version here. But, I mean, it looks apart. It's, it's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I wanted to point out another one of these games uh, that came out physical only. Again, we've talked about this a little bit last episode, that some systems, the homebrew, homebrew seam is uh, alive and kicking, yeah. but they're very protective about their products, and they only release them physically. And I would love to play more uh, of these games. One of those systems is the Atari uh, for some reason, uh, of all systems, you'd think that would be very open source, but they are closed about it. Nonetheless, this game uh, is called Deepstone Catacomb, and it's been announced for pre-order. comes in a nice-looking uh, original Atari-looking box, uh, $50. But if, I don't know if you've seen the gameplay on this thing. I haven't. It I'd looks, like to. It looks really cool. Um, oh, wow. That does look neat. Yeah. I mean, it's a full-on, like, dungeon crawler RPG game. And considering it's an Atari game, um, I mean, you go through these these caverns. It's a flick screen, one screen at a time. But like, he just picked up a sword there, and now he can attack with it. There's a scorpion in this room. He attacks. When you kill enemies, coins pop out. Um, you can see all the little doors he can go through. It almost reminds me of like a um, a berserk RPG. <laughs> yeah, um, it's the way he swings that sword at the enemies. Though it reminds me of uh, Gateway to Abshai, like yep. when we talked about that last month, but. Uh, it looks really cool. I like it. But there's a, another example of how much I would love this game, but I'm not going to spend 50 bucks on it. If they would release this for 8 bucks digital, I'm going to buy it. Yeah, um, I mean, I imagine eventually they're going to have to sell the digital, and they should because, you know, it's going to come out eventually one way or another, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, well, they should I, sell say that, but they're pretty good at being protective about them. So I think, yeah. luckily, I, I, and I agree with it, the people who buy these games do a good job of not um, spoiling it for the the owners, right. but I think the owners eventually need to release them digital for for a charge. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, for someone like me, I don't really collect twenty six hundred games in box. Um, I or I mean, fifty dollars is kind of a spicy meatball. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Anyways, the game looks really cool. So. It does look great, and if they do do a digital one, I'll definitely buy this. So it looks great. I need to get my hands on that one. Um, another game that we talked about this a little bit last time, I think maybe we didn't, I don't recall, but, um, a couple new Commodore 64 games, uh, main one that came out that I noticed a game called Outrage. Um, I wanted to make sure, uh, that you and Tim saw this one, but it looked like a really cool side scrolling, like, uh, what do you call it? A side scrolling, I guess, hack and slash platformer type of game. Uh, and when I did download it, it uh, it was five bucks, and I was very excited about the game. Loading times were atrocious. 
Um, oh, so uh, yeah. this is news. I'm not going to do a review or anything like that. But it basically killed it for me because I couldn't load it. Um, it took a long time to load. And when it finally loaded, I died pretty quickly. And then the time for it to reload took forever. So I was like, man, I wish there was a way for this CRT file to fit on my Easy Flash cart. But it was way too big. It wouldn't fit. Uh, they did release an updated CRT file. So it now does work with the Easy Flash. And I absolutely did that. I, I loaded it on my Easy Flash and it works great. So and it works much better. That's good yep. to know. Yeah, sometimes the way they they'll they'll do loading times, uh, loading in per certain segments at a time, it just it takes way too long. So uh, that's awesome. I, uh, I did see footage of this, and it looks really good. Yeah, I mean, it, it looked. Um, uh, we'll talk about it more on catching up in our next episode. But I did play a little bit of it, and I can uh, give you my thoughts on it there. Another good. game that came out for the Commodore sixty two. Uh, 62, 64, <laughs> um, is a, a sequel, if you will, to the game Chiller. Have you ever played Chiller? I have, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's called Chiller 2, and they did a great job, and it, I don't know if you've seen footage of this, I don't have it up here right now, but it's, it very much is a second Chiller, it's more Chiller, which is kind of a cool, um, Halloween kind of themed, creepy platform game. So grab that. So for our, uh, since we are a retro show, I wanted, I, I would feel uh, remiss if I didn't talk about this. <laughs> you can now install RetroArch emulator on Xbox Series X or S or Xbox One. I know this article we're looking at right here doesn't talk about the Xbox One, but it, there is, it, there are instructions on how to do it on Xbox One as well. Series X, S, and One, you can now run RetroArch. Now, I, I haven't done this because I don't want to screw up my... Uh, my son doesn't want to screw up his Xbox Series X, and I don't want to screw up my Xbox One. So <laughs> I, I am not doing this, but you can put it into a developer mode and install RetroArch. So you can use them to play all your retro games if you wanted to. Interesting. With this, I didn't know that anybody could turn basically their Xbox into a dev kit by making it activating developer mode, but you do pay a one-time fee of $19, at least if you're in America, um, right. to Xbox, and now you have development mode, and that's what you have to do to enable this, I guess. Which is pretty incredible, because I was just listening to a, um, a, a podcast today on my drive to work where they were talking about a, a company, um, I think it was Naughty Dog, that pretty much spent their entire savings on buying a dev kit for the PS1, and it was $35,000. Yeah, back in the day, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's so, crazy. I mean, now that you can spend 19 bucks and convert your <laughs> on an Xbox to a dev kit, that's got to be uh, kind of a kick in the pants there. This was a cool one. Um, I thought this was... I don't really talk very much about all these kind of Me Too games, but it is cool to me that the... Um, it's a game we've talked about before. I think it did come out on the NES um, uh, about a, a month or two ago, and it was a, a Tetris-inspired game called From Below, which is basically Tetris, but with this really cool castle and ocean theme, and there's this little squid octopus guy pushing up pieces with his tentacle. Kind yeah. of messes with the pieces. But what's cool about it is this is the first game release now. I, I guess they've made a version that will actually work with the Nintendo Versus system in over 30 years. Wow. Um, which is, of course, the arcade system in which uh, you had two, uh, you know, player versus player Nintendo games put into an upright arcade machine that was Nintendo branded. Right. I so, saw one of these. Cool. I saw one of these uh, arcade systems for sale locally here in our area. 
um, probably a couple of years ago. I think I might have even mentioned it to you, like like texted you and was like, oh, did you see this? I think it was in like Auburn or something. And uh, they don't come up for sale very often, but they're really cool systems. Yeah, yeah, they definitely were. And they kind of had special versions of the game to do that. There's also the Play Choice, the Nintendo Play Choice cabinets, which were a different thing. And those right. literally had a Nintendo in them with whatever game you plugged into it. And you right. basically just paid for time playing on a Nintendo. But this was a separate <laughs> cabinet with games specific for player versus player yep. NES games. Right. Um, all right, this is a big one for us here on the show. Uh, okay. So the both the... Indie Retro News C64 Games of the Year were released. Okay. Um, which is interesting because Retro Gamer Nation also released his Games of the Year, which were fan voted on. Um, now, Indie Retro News, I believe, used a judging system, which personally, in my opinion, is the best way to do these things because that means the judges are doing their best to play every game, make sure they're being very fair about it. And um, the game, two of the games that I would have voted for definitely made it on the list and one i never tried made it on the list uh but i was hoping that um zeta wing or fix it felix would win game of the year it did not they did win a uh, budget game of the year for zeta wing and for genius i guess like programming genius of the year <laughs> fix it felix won that but oh, game that's nice yeah game of the year went to mw ultra did you huh. ever play that i don't think i did do you do you even remember it Nope, don't remember it. It's interesting to me because all these uh, places are raving about the game and they're talking about how great it was and how it was like the big title for the year. But I I remember seeing it, but I did not play it. I'd missed it. Um, and I do I did think about buying it at one point when I, when I did eventually learn about it. Um, but it was for digital download. It was $15. And yeah. I just kind of skipped it because it didn't look like my cup of tea, especially for $15. Right. But it's a, a side-scrolling, like, run-and-gun, shoot-em-up kind of a thing. Um, which is my cup of tea, but it looked slow. But anyways, it got great reviews. Uh, so what's more interesting to me is the Retro Gamer Nation uh, results. And make sure you uh, check out his page there. He has a YouTube um, video on the top 10 games as voted on by the reviewers, which are everybody out there who decided to vote. I did vote, by the way. And MW Ultra actually came in fifth, and I think that is in large part, and, and he agrees with me, um, that it was just too expensive, not that many people played the game. Right. Um, I can one see of, that being a downside for sure. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorites, uh, Shadow Over Hawksmill, which was the Cthulhu-based adventure game, came in fourth. Uh, a game that everybody loved, and you and I both didn't try because we're not into puzzle games, Million Molly. Actually came yeah, in. you know, uh, Flack on our channel, our, yeah. our channel, <laughs> we're taking over the Amigos <laughs> channel. Um, on the Amigos channel, uh, Flack said he played this and really loved it. A lot of people love this game, and they were pushing for game of the year on this one. It's just a puzzle game, and I can't bring myself to play it. Um, anyways, it came in third. Fix-It Felix came in second, and Zeta Wing came in number one, which is... Those two right there, I could kind of go either way. I, I agree with those being number one and number two. So I agree with that 100% too. I mean, I know you played Hawksmill. I never played that, but I did see uh, footage of it. It looks good. It looks good. Mm -hmm. But I'd say that Zeta Wing and Fix-It Felix were... I, it's just hard to beat those games. Yeah, they're, they're both addictive and solid and fun. Just really good, tight gameplay. Really fair, perfect difficulty curve. I mean... Both of those games are what make games good. They are 
level design and play tested until they're just perfect. And that's what happened there. Uh, Eric, speaking of, remember our go-to, speaking of video games, what? (laughs) Speaking of video games. (laughs) That's a great one. Yeah. (laughs) It is the reason we're here. Um, so I want to talk about a new Vic 20 game with the kind of a GTA, like Grand Theft Auto vibe. It's called Overthrown. Ooh, I think you skipped. Um, I'll catch up to you here. Yeah. It, um, I, I haven't played this one yet, but any kind of new Vic 20 game, um, always piques my interest. And this one is 8K. It comes on an 8K cartridge. Um, but it is a game that it, it's almost like it has different type of, um, I don't want to say mini games, but there's a map you drive around with your car and you can run down people and then you go and you do different objectives. It actually looks like a pretty interesting kind of super cool, kind of funny game. Um, I mean, the graphics are definitely Vic 20 style, but um, that's actually pretty impressive for Vic 20. I mean, considering there's yeah. been a lot of good uh, Vic 20 releases, and I think I've got a backlog about six new games to try. I need to get my Vic 20 off the wall and, and, and try these out. Yeah. But I had not heard about this one. This looks great. Yeah, you know what game that I need to do in 2021 uh, here is uh, that game that I bought, the RPG for the Vic 20. Uh, what is it? Um, Realm? Quest of Realm? Realm? Yeah, the one that you... Yeah, you bought that one. Uh-huh. Has all the feelies in it. I got the box. I got the maps. I got everything. Um I think it's called Realms Quest. Man, I can't remember the name of it. Silly. silly I know what, you, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of old systems, what about the Intellivision, Eric? Yeah. If you check this out, somebody has made, and it's not finished. I think it was only the first level, Super Mario on the Intellivision, the original Intellivision. And based on what I've seen, it is it's actually pretty good. <laughs> um, it It looks, I mean... The ratio and the colors are obviously different, but it is Super Mario Brothers. I mean, it it looks like it plays pretty well. It looks like the physics are pretty good. So um, I, I'm watching video of it now. What I love, oh, is the secret box going to be there? Yes, it is. <laughs> um, what I love about this. So yeah. on the Commodore 64 last year, someone made an amazing, like almost direct pixel, pixel for pixel, pixel uh, copy of the NES game on the Commodore. Not to mention the sound was amazing on that oh, one, was, too. And it was perfect, and technically it was amazing. However, I don't need to play the exact game again. What's cool about this is it's definitely got its own, like, vibe. Like, it's it's it looks different. It's in television. It looks different. It's definitely Super Mario, but it... it like, I would like to try this one. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you agree with me on that. It's just, it looks It looks unique. No, I definitely, it's cool. I definitely agree with you, and I think it looks really cool. I hope he finishes it, and if it comes on cartridge, it would be one that I would be tempted to buy on a if it, especially if it comes with like real templates in the manual um, and in a nice box. That would be really cool. Um, speaking of Nintendo games, mm-hmm. the uh, we mentioned it last month. I think I mentioned it last month that uh, they did some a little bit of video on the Super Nintendo World in. Um, Universal Studios Japan that came out. Okay. The actual, like, uh, theme park. Well, they... That's right, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they did some more videos on it where they actually go through some of the kingdom and show off... um, It's pretty cool. They show off how you can 
get a, a, a wristband and you go around the park trying to find all the coin boxes and you actually like smack underneath them with your hand. It goes, Ba-ding! and it um, keeps track of how many coins you've gotten and there's all objectives you can do as you go around the park. Um, it, it looked really, really cool and I suggest everybody go find that video and, and watch it. Um, but what they also mentioned at the very end of the video, which was the big announcement in my opinion, uh, at least for me, I don't know if it was released anywhere else, but they're also going to recreate that same world in a couple of other Universal Studios, including the ones in L.A. and Florida. Oh, wow. That'll be really cool. Yeah, which means I actually have a reason to go to Universal Studios in, in L.A. now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we went a few years back, and we, we actually really did have a fun time there. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is about it. When you go in there, it's super cool. You're all excited. About a half a day later, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> right. So... Super Nintendo World, I would I will go to see that. That is going to be really cool. Uh, just a quick announcement uh, to show off the new Switch Online games. They like to release old games on the Switch Online service. Um, came out with Donkey Kong Country 3, which is the last of the three Donkey Kong countries they had to release. Uh, Super Valis 4. And then this one always gets a chuckle out of me because this was a real Super Nintendo game. Hey, Punk, are you tough enough? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then a couple other games, uh, the Ignition Factor, and then for the NES, Nightshade. Um, I also want to mention, you and I would be interested in this, uh, the board game Wingspan. You've heard of that game, right? I've heard of it. I don't have it. It's like one of the highest ranked games ever. It came out a couple years ago, and people were clamoring. To, you know, it was sold out everywhere. And, but it's, a, it's hilarious. It's a game about bird watching, Eric. Okay. <laughs> Which does not sound exciting. But I have to laugh, because... Uh, my mom came over for Christmas, and she's like me. When we get into a hobby, we can't quit. And everything in her life is bird watching now. Or is, oh, wow. Uh, sorry, she calls it birding. Okay. <laughs> it's called birding, Eric. And you have binos, not binoculars. They're binos. Um, and she's been looking, like, every second of every day when she's not talking to somebody, she's, like, looking out the window or walking around the block trying to find birds that she has not seen yet. Therefore, they are, she has not collected them as what they call lifers. I'm sorry, wow, I'm getting... There's a whole, there's a whole subculture here I've there's never a, heard of. It's like cyberpunk, except with birds. Um, anyways, my, my, I, have to, I have to tell the story real quick. My Christmas, or my entire family's Christmas, was, was taken over by my mom, because not only did we spend Christmas Eve going to a, uh, a local uh, animal... What's the uh, area? What do you call those things? I'm totally The blanking. wildlife area? Yeah, the wildlife preservation areas and yeah. finding more lifers, more birds, which of course she said will take 30 minutes and took two hours. Uh, then she got back and immediately went to the backyard and tried to look for more birds. And then we decided to watch a family movie and she said, oh, I heard there's a funny movie with uh, Jack Black and Steve Martin in it. And uh, it was called The Great Year. Have you I, seen I, this? I, I haven't seen it, but I do know it's about bird watching, right? <laughs> <laughs> she yeah. took over, Eric. Uh, and then, she, of course, she wanted to play a board game and mentioned that she wants to play Wingspan. So, anyways, Wingspan is now out on the Nintendo Switch as well. So, another board game converted to the Switch. Um, speaking of birds, Eric. <laughs> yeah. This is a good transition. Speaking of birds, KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, has released its own console. You know, I, I just because I didn't want to really dig into it, I did see the headlines on this for the last two or three weeks, and I, I thought it was funny, but I didn't know 
I don't know anything about it because I'm not not interested. But tell me about this. <laughs> I, well, I have to give props to KFC because I yeah. appreciate the heck out of their marketing campaign. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. If you remember a, a year ago or so, there was a dating simulator that came out on Steam where you actually date the colonel. Do you remember I this? I did. Yep. And they made a full on anime dating simulator. I mean, how niche is that? Right. And you can actually play it. It is a full game. It is a joke, but not a joke. I mean, it is a legit product. And then, I don't know if you've seen this, they came out with a Lifetime movie. I was, did, and it has Mar- Mario Lopez in it? Yes. And he's yeah. the colonel. Mario Lopez from Saved by the Bell is the colonel. Yeah. And it's a, it's only 20 minutes. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. But it is a legit 20-minute, like... Uh, soap opera style lifetime movie where like crazy stuff happens and like he's the chef for this rich family and like the woman who's betrothed to another falls in love with the colonel my wife and i watched this thing Um, (laughs) oh man (laughs) you guys must have been bored (laughs) um and her sister my wife's sister told us to watch it because she actually does watch some of those lifetime movies and she said like it's a legit lifetime movie i mean it's over the top because they pretend like the fact the colonel's in it is not a big deal, but it is. Yeah. Nonetheless, imagine that movie and that game in a video game console, and that's what you have here. Click on our link to take a look. Uh, but they are legit selling a console that looks like a black bucket of chicken <laughs> with a power button. Yeah. Um, and again, look on the website. This thing is is designed to actually sell a product and look like a product. Uh, world's first built-in chicken chamber. So it actually has a heated chamber to keep your fried chicken warm while you play video games. Nice. Um, Very convenient. If you go down, you can see like cutout, 3D cutouts of how it works. And then, of course, it talks about how it's using a Core i9 ninth generation, uh, whatever this is, video card, I guess. I don't know enough about these things. Um, Cooling, Barracuda, Firecuda, gaming, RAM. I mean, it, it, one terabyte, blah, 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 VR ready, ray tracing, like, <laughs> I have to give them credit for how legit they made this, and it's not a joke. They are selling this. <laughs> they do. Did they have a? Did they have a price on there? Because <laughs> I don't. Cause, I, I mean, that's not a high end. It's not a high end PC because it is based on a NUC, which is like a little portable, you know, ultra small yeah. machine. But I mean, it it wouldn't be certainly wouldn't be a bad Steam machine at all. I mean. They don't talk about what games it runs. I mean, essentially, it's a computer is what it is. They're calling it a video game system, but it's, yeah, Yeah. it's a computer. But the fact that they're just pushing this as a piece of hardware and just one of the bullet points is that it stores hot chicken. Yeah, which would be great. (laughs) And any other hot items you could think. My question is, the hot chicken chamber, is it not directly over all the electronics? (laughs) Yeah, I would think that it would cause it to overheat unless it's taking the heat off of the computer and pushing it up into the chamber. Ooh, there you go. That's how. Ooh, that's how it keeps warm, Eric. Yeah, you see it's all the like USB your, ports. Your, your chicken is your heat sink. Oh my gosh! This is K- great. Kudos, kudos to them. Yeah. Uh, speaking of new hardware, Ar- Arcade One Up. We like to talk about them pretty much like yeah. every three episodes because they keep releasing new stuff. They, they have a new line of what they're now calling their mid-size arcade machines, uh, which is kind of what they started with. Uh, the larger ones being, of course, like the six-player one or four-player ones, like the two, uh, Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are coming out with, first of all, a Killer Instinct cabinet. 
Yeah. Which actually looks really bad. I'm not going to lie. The cabinet's boring. I think it's a good copy of the original, but it's not a good looking cabinet. Right. But it has um, Killer Instinct, Killer Instinct 2, and Battletoads Arcade. Mm-hmm. And I actually heard, even though it doesn't say it on here, I think it also has Battletoads versus Double Dragon in it. Um, okay. Then they also have, this one's kind of a bummer, X-Men. Um, it comes with Konami's X-Men, Captain America, and the Avengers, and the Avengers and Galactic Storm. Uh, the reason that's a bummer is, oh, I take it back. It actually does have four players on it. That is a four-player cabinet. Yeah, it looks pretty good, actually. And that looks like a great buy right there. It looks um, right up yeah. there with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This is the one that interests me, though. This okay. is altogether new to them, and that is the Dragon's Lair cabinet. Yeah. Um, it has Dragon's Lair, Dragon's Lair 2, which I guess existed, Time Warp, and, of course, Space Ace, which was kind of the uh, counterpart to Dragon's Lair. Right. But, of course, these are Laserdisc-based games, mm-hmm. which are essentially movies that you try not to screw up. That's the game. Um, and it's interesting because the design on this thing has the speakers up front. It looks completely dis- It looks like a Dragon's Lair. Right. And then, do you, I don't remember in the real Dragon's Lair what this information here is. There's all these, like, numbers and dots. Was, that, was there, a, like, a score screen on the Dragon's Lair cabinet like that? I don't remember seeing that at all. Maybe there was. Maybe I missed it. It almost reminds me of, like, like a Laserdisc player saying what track it's on. <laughs> right. Um, I think it's cool that they're making it. I can't imagine. I, this has to be probably the least useful cabinet, because once you've played the game, it's done. I mean. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I was never like when I was a kid, everybody was surrounding the dragon slayer machine. And I, I think I remember it was 50 cents to play. And I remember sinking 50 cents in there and did it. And then I was like, this kind of sucks. And like, I never played it again. You actually recognized it for what it was, which was terrible gameplay. Correct. So yeah, it only cost me 50 cents to learn that. (laughs) It's a cheap life lesson there, Eric. (laughs) That's right. Um, I was hoping that uh, Tim will hear this. Uh, this is hilarious. So remember last episode or last month, I talked about a game that I learned about, uh, which was Mega Man um, Deathmatch. <laughs> yeah. Which is a fan-made game you can download and play, and it's like a 3D Doom-style game, but with Mega Man characters, and you're collecting their power-ups and shooting them, and it's a little arena battle. Well, another fan-made game came to my attention. Uh, and this came out, and I love it, and it is called Return to Castle Monkey Ball. Oh. <laughs> Which is a literally a hybrid between Return to Castle Wolfenstein and Monkey Ball. <laughs> oh, that is bizarre. Um, yeah, so if you, if you look at some of the video here, it looks like Wolfenstein 3D, but your character gets in a little ball, and you bounce into bad guys and kill them and collect bananas. <laughs> I like it. And you rotate the whole level, you know, just like Monkey Ball. I have to give this a shot. And it is, um, it's a fan game, so it's free. And I think you just play it right online. I think it's an online, um, it plays in a browser. Yeah. No, that looks great. Oh my gosh. Hilarious. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Speaking of castles. Speaking of castles, did you, I don't, I hope you saw this because I actually burned a copy of it and played it, but did it's you? called okay. Magic magic castle it is a ps1 game that was um pretty much like i don't know if it was just not finished or abandoned and didn't come to market but 
I guess it was found and and finished and released. And so now you can download this game, burn it to a disc if you have a... I don't even know if you need a modded PS1. You do, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you do. To or you can the do the disc, swap right? trick and, like, destroy your drive. That's right. Um, but it is kind of this really interesting kind of isometric um, game where you are playing, you're this knight in this castle and you're running around collecting items. And when you kill, kill guys, they, they pop into like coins pop out of them and you can go and you can find upgrades. There's treasure chests around and you can, you know, it's pretty much almost like a, I don't want to say rogue game because it's not really, it's more of an action game. Um, but it, 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 they could have done a lot with this engine. I think, um, it looks I will great. tell you, honestly, I just want to be like totally upfront. I downloaded this, burned it and played it for about half an hour. It looks great. It, it gets kind of repetitive and boring after a while. Oh, shoot. So okay. I kind of wonder if it wasn't completely finished. You know what I mean? Um, it, it, it just, it just kind of got boring. So I think it was just oh, an idea bummer. and uh, a proof of concept and, probably needs a little more substance to it but it, it, it is a very cool idea it, it has a lot of rpg elements like you can scroll through a little menu that's up in the in the top left corner you can scroll through so you can like find a new sword or a new weapon and change to it real quick and put on different armor and stuff had a lot of potential oh and it is multiplayer too i'm so looking at that in the video yeah there's four players playing at once how cool is that yeah, that's really cool and you can see the camera actually the camera manages itself, and I will say that it was very intelligent on how it stayed ahead of the curve. Like, you know, how a lot of games drop the ball on the camera management. This one rotated the screen just right so that the gameplay was always... Uh, it didn't get in way of the gameplay, I should say. So, anyway, it's something you can download and try out, and I think it is pretty... It's worth trying. It's really neat. I, yeah, I was really hopeful about this one because it does look really fun. I, I'm laughing right now because for whatever reason, every J Japanese game after Final Fantasy decided that a green and red blob that bounce around on the ground is an enemy. Right. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's a game, a thing with all games. Like a little blob of gel that bounces around slowly after you. Right. But that's just kind of become a trope. But um. anyways, how, how do we get to the next one here? Speaking of... <laughs> video games <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> well done well done uh, that's gonna be my crutch uh evercade released yet another cartridge which is awesome because that means they are alive and well mm -hmm. and uh eric they're coming out with a bunch of them still not a ton i'm super excited about um but the most released uh, the last one they released that we talked about or that they announced was uh worms Yep. Which I don't know if I'm going to get that one. I think I'm going to get the Indie Heroes collection. But they announced the Codemasters collection, um, which has all kinds of games in it, including uh, Cannon Fodder. Yeah, Cannon Fodder and uh, th that soccer game, Sensible Soccer. Soccer game. Tennis Cosmic Spacehead. Ultimate wow. Stuntman. Um, Psycho Pinball, which looks like a pretty good pig. Uh, pinball game mig 29 yeah. b now the b this one's funny b52 was a nintendo game that was lambasted universally okay uh this one looks like something i might pick up i think oh, it's super uh, skid marks is a fun one super skid marks there you go boomerang kid megalomania is actually supposed to be a really good game i haven't played that either but anyways i think this one might be worth a pickup i think i might yeah. i might jump in on this one when is that one released 
Uh, well, they still got like three or four they haven't released that are announced, so I'm going to okay. guess three or four months. Yeah, so you're not going to pick up the Worms one, huh? I My gut feeling is it's cool, I like the concept, but the screen is so small and it's really a two-player game. I'm not going to play a handheld device two-player, really. Right. Um, I think I'm going to hold off on that <laughs> one. But my opinion... It's going to be weird seeing cannon fodder, though, on the Evercade, because that really is a mouse game. <laughs> yeah, right? So yeah. It's, going to, it's going to violate Josh Malone's, uh, you know, if you use a mouse on, on a controller, it's it violates international law. <laughs> yeah, violates. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, are you, we've talked about Lest. Have yeah. you heard about the collection that they, they announced and released? I have not, but I, I do love Lest. So, so it is being handled by M2, which is an amazing uh, porting company. That's and then when news. I saw this, I was super excited because Lest is a shmup series that we like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a bunch of games on it, and a physical version was coming out that looked super cool. Um, specifically, this one that uh, we're looking at here is for the Switch. Um, Lest has all kinds of. Uh, various less games such as like, the, the screen keeps rotating on me while it like loads things so i can't read off of it um oh it also comes out on the playstation 4 comes with a also known as power strike on the master system power strike 2 a game gear and a 2 on the game gear um but what's crazy about this is the physical version also comes with a special edition version of the game gear micro eric <laughs> there it is right there Wow, that wow, is pretty cool. Wow, look at that. Yeah. So I was excited about that because although I don't really want a Game Gear Micro or I, want to, I don't really want to import one from Japan, if it came with the Alest physical game and like a bunch of the soundtracks and all the other cool stuff, I'm like, that'd be cool. I might pay 100 bucks for that collection. But the problem is it's not 100 bucks, Eric. It's $350. Oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so I'm going to hop on to PlayAsia.com, which is an importer oh there i'm sorry 360 dollars. i was way off oh no yeah that's not that's not right and you know they're gonna sell even though they're 360 dollars. people are gonna still buy it and just they're ruin. gonna sell to me i can tell you that i know but that's what bums me out is because people will buy this and pay stupid amounts for it and if people would just not do it and wait until they drop the price they would accept a lower price yeah uh, but really cool looking collection i think i i might buy the uh digital only version uh, yeah and that's gonna is. be out on the switch and ps4 is that right uh those two are mentioned here yeah probably more okay yeah you can buy just the physical for 72 but anywho cool uh unless you can think of another topic eric i'll hop on to the next one which is random <laughs> cheap clones of nes lego sets uh now feature feature duck hunt contra and super mario brothers um this is hilarious to me. Now, this I, I took this straight off of, uh, what is it called, NintendoLife.com. And you, you've seen that Lego kit, right, that came out that looks like a Nintendo and a TV, and you scroll the Mario game? I have seen that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now now companies, and of course they're going to try to get shut down by Nintendo, are making off-brand, non-Lego replicas <laughs> uh, that are similar in nature. Do you see this one here? Um. Yeah, there's a, there's one here that shows Mario like level the level where you're jumping on the towery bridges. Um, down here's Contra. 
<laughs> oh man, look at that! <laughs> and then over here you've got a well. Here's Duck Hunt, and they even have their version has cartridges you can pull in and out of the TV. I think it's hilarious, and I don't. I didn't actually. They don't have links to actual sites to buy them, probably because they're a legitimate source, and they don't want to give links to illegitimate sources. But I know the original one from Lego was like two hundred bucks, which is just crazy money. So I'm assuming these are like sixty. Yeah, I I might consider getting one of these if it, if I find it at the right price. I think they're hilarious. Yeah, I don't know what I'd do with it. I mean, if I put it around, it'll probably get knocked down and busted up. So I probably <laughs> I probably would pass on that. <laughs> I'll buy that right after I buy my three hundred and sixty dollar uh, Game Gear. Right. Um. Oh, this is an interesting one, Eric. Uh, according to the developer smg studios who makes a game called death squared okay um they kind of leaked or explained that the nintendo eShop is basically cracking down on all those games that put uh, their games on sale for like seven cents one yeah, cent from what i understand it's going to be I, I read the same thing I, I think it's they said the minimum is going to be like 99 cents now uh the article i show here says 199 but i think you're right i've seen another article that said 99 cents um, okay, but I agree with this because if you look through like the top twenty on the eShop, it'll be yeah. like you know some big Mario game, and then of course like Fortnite, and then third place is some crappy game called like Mushroom Shooter, and they were selling it for one cent, so everybody bought it, and all of a sudden they're like one of the highest selling games on eBay or on uh, the eShop, even though they lost money on it. Yeah, um, the whole the whole it's becoming a gross scammy little environment over there so i think it is a good call even though i am guilty of buying dirt cheap games myself um anyways that's the eShop, which doesn't sell physical games eric but if you want to get a physical game of a game like i don't know hot shot racing yeah it's coming to switch on the physical format here shortly which is cool now hot shot racing was the um that was uh, has that even come out in digital yet? Yeah, that's the one you uh, brought over to my house, and we played it. And every time it went to the loading screen, you went ding a ding a ding ding. That's right. That's right. I forgot the name of it. That's right. Okay. Ding a ding a ding ding. That's a good game. That's it's a, a good, good game. game. And the, the problem is, I bought it on digital now already. I kind of want the physical just to have the physical. It's what right. A con- what a consumer n- nonsense. Right. I, I agree. It, this the, now the memories are coming back to me. This was a great game. I mean, we we had a blast playing it. Yep, absolutely. It's kind of a cool uh, racing cartoon looking game. Speaking of cartoons, yeah, uh, check out the Simpsons Bug Squad, a Dreamcast game that was never made. Yeah, I saw a little bit about this, but I, I did hear that it would. This is like completely not finished, and there's not much to it other than. You're like Homer's the bad guy and you're flying around as a bug or something, right? Look at the footage though. I mean, yeah, it might not have been a finished game, but as far as the engine and the way they rendered the Simpsons house, it looks so cool. It does. No, I agree. It looks 100% cool. If this could have been a finished game. I mean, look at the detail even on the bug. I mean, the fact that they made a game about a bug flying around in the Simpsons house where the Simpsons are the bad guy, I don't think that was going to be a huge hit, but... Again, the proof of concept that they made this 3D house, and they could have made, you know, any 
variety of games in this uh, yeah. environment, and it looks super cool. But uh, another another uh, piece of software that was found on an old Dreamcast dev kit, which probably cost thirty five hundred dollars back in the day. Um, <laughs> right. There's Homer just walking around. I don't know what he's doing. He's just walking, just yeah. me- meandering, if you will. Anyways, oh, it's pretty cool. I, the engine does look really neat. Very cool. Uh, Dreamcast, old piece of hardware. People want to see a Dreamcast 2. I would love to see a Dreamcast 2, which would be like a new iteration of the Dreamcast, such as the Mega 65. Yeah. Um, which you, I think you know a whole lot more about this than I do. Uh, but I do want to point out there's three modernized pieces of retro tech that released this in the last 30 days. Right. Uh, starting with the Mega 65, which I'll pull up here. But um, have you heard much about this release and what people are saying about it yet? Yeah, I mean, the Mega 65 is a thing that I've been following for, I mean, I'm not joking. I've been following news on the Mega 65 for, I don't know, five, five, six years. I mean, it's a thing that was, has been constantly being worked on by a number of people. And uh, it's gone through multiple iterations of hardware and, and, you know, I don't know a lot of the details, but because it was just something I just never really thought it was going to be finished, finished. Mm-hmm. But now it looks like they're I don't know if they're close to actually. I mean, they're selling from what I heard, they were selling dev kits, which um, if you were a developer, you could buy one of these and the, the price was pretty high. Uh, but and it's that clear one that you see down there. That's the mm-hmm. one I saw. And it was a developer version. See the dev kit. I th- I thought I saw online that people were actually getting Mega 65s and they were starting to use them. Maybe you're right. I, I maybe I missed that. Um, if that's the case, then kudos to them. I hope that that's true because this thing looks really cool. So for people that don't know, Commodore, Commodore actually made a prototype of the Commodore 65, and they made I I don't know I, I I'm going to get this totally wrong. I think it was like 12 of them. Very or, few. Or yeah, something like okay. that. Twelve, twenty, something, something in the very low numbers. And you know, they got around. They're in people's garages. Someone you know threw it out and threw it away or whatever over the years. But these things go for a ridiculous money now. If you see them on eBay and and, and collectors selling them, but it was a full fledged. Um, it was an eight bit system, but it was as kind of high tech as an eight bit system was ever going to get. And uh, it just they just didn't release it. Commodore ran out of steam. They didn't think this was viable and they might have been right. Who knows? Um, But these guys took one of those prototypes, got the ROM off of it and wanted to build a computer around that. And it looks amazing. I mean, it it has it looks like kind of a Commodore C64C, but on the side of it, it has a. um, a three and a half inch floppy drive that is on the side. Well, it's on. It's front loaded though. It's it is front loaded to the side, yeah. but yeah, that's yeah, what it's I front meant. loaded. It's on. The, it's right next to the keyboard, front loaded. Um, the dev kit doesn't include that. I don't know if there's an attachment for a floppy drive or whatever. But um, to me, it yeah, almost I it mean, almost looks like an Amiga six hundred with a floppy drive pushed onto the side. Like right. Yeah. Yeah. Or or it looks like that one ZX Spectrum that has the um micro control micro drive on the side. Um I don't know. I mean when I first heard about this, I was really excited about it. And over time I was like, well, you know, my philosophy is if a system's only as good as the software that comes out for it. Yeah. Yep. And if this gets a lot of traction and people start making a lot of really cool games for this, 
it might be something I might consider down the road for sure. Um, and it is fully compatible with the Commodore 64. So, I mean, it runs Commodore 64 mm -hmm. and Commodore 65 stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm going to wait and see. I mean, if it start, if, if people really latch onto this thing, I want to start developing for it and making games and, and it goes well, then I think that's great. And I might consider buying it, but I don't know how much it is, but I can only imagine it's a lot of money. Yeah. I, and it looks like it's open source as well. Cause it says GitHub up here, but they're actually making a full on, you know, pre-made boards with, um, injection molded cases and the whole thing. But yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause this started before the spectrum, the ZX spectrum next, um, which is it the did. reissue of the spectrum. And that did come out. Uh, I do yep. have one and I think you and Tim have one coming. That's correct. Um, yeah. So that is my second piece of news, which is that the ZX spectrum next, has some copycats out there, including the NGO. Have you heard of the NGO? I did. I heard about it on another podcast, and it was. I found it interesting until I went to look at it, and it's just a motherboard. Yeah. Yep. So this is the ZX Spectrum Next NGO board, and you can buy this for 115 euros plus taxes and shipping. Yep. And at first, you might be like upset because the uh, the next guys just came out with the whole next. And finally, spent all these years getting it together and made this beautiful product and created this whole uh, like you were saying this whole um, community of people making new games and creating product for it. Um, but they actually said apparently from the beginning that they wanted the Spectrum Next to be an open source uh, system, and they encouraged other people to manufacture uh, clones so that the community can get as big as it possibly can. Yeah. And as far as a, a board, a lone board, it actually looks really good. It's this white board with, the, you know, all the chips and everything are black on it. It's got a coin cell battery on it. Um, I'm not sure what you'd put it in. I guess it fits in a standard spectrum. It's very clean, but no, I, that's where I, that's where I'm not sure. It could be installed directly in the original ZX Spectrum Next cases. So it will not fit in an old spectrum case. So I don't know where you're going to get a original ZX spectrum next case, unless you bought a, a ZX spectrum next. Oh, I thought it was, I thought it fit in a standard spectrum. It does the, not. Cause the original ZX spectrum board fit in a standard spectrum. Hmm. More research to follow. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. If, if, if that's the case, I would love to do that, but Pun I don't intended. I, I, what'd you say? If that's the case, yeah. Sorry. That's the case. <laughs> yeah. Come on. You, you just, that was brilliant. That was gold that you just did right there. <laughs> I, 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 it doesn't look like it would fit in any ZX Spectrum case that I know of. So if it, if okay. it does, then I stand corrected. And uh, frankly, that's a, that's a really good price. Um, I'll get back to the Spectrum in just a second. But the last one mm -hmm. I wanted to announce is that the Atari VCS actually did ship. And sure people did. are getting their Atari VCSs. Now, I'm hoping you've seen more of this than I have, because at this point, I see people holding some very attractive, sexy-looking, uh, overpriced Atari units. I, yep. still don't, only, I, I still don't know I've what seen, they do. Yeah, I've seen two reviews online have and you? on okay. YouTube. And yeah, the device, it, I, I'll give them credit, the device looks good. Um, it looks a little smaller than you would expect, but it looks pretty good. Um, it, I've seen it boot up and I've seen the menu. Um, I forget what it's called, but there is a little, um, there is a, like a, 
a homepage you can go to and you can download a bunch of um, you can connect it to the network and download old Atari games and okay. retro games and put them on there and play them. I saw the controllers like the more modern looking one, like it looks like an Xbox controller and the the classic and they're both wireless. They look great. Um, they look great. Yep. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just going to remain to be seen what comes out for it and 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 how it goes, but. The menu was fast and snappy. Um, I don't know what else to say because I don't know where they go from here. Okay, you have this old library you can play, but where do you go from there? I, I don't know what you're going to – are you going to get people to make new games for just the Atari or – Exactly. And I know you and I are on the same page here. As we've said like three times already on the show, it comes down to the software. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at this point, Eric, if you – they produced what appears to be a great piece of hardware – great controllers what would you pay for this setup like if they started discounting it what would be your limit before you said okay i'll buy it yeah i mean gosh just to get all those retro games and stuff uh, on hdmi with a nice nice controllers and stuff i don't know i think it'd pay like maybe 100 125 yeah yeah that's kind of where i'm considering it um 350 without having any idea what's going on i still don't quite get but i but i will give them credit they made the product and released it so yeah and and the the menus are very attractive and i saw some of the games and some of them are um i don't know kind of revamped games so they they look they're almost like remasters or whatever and a lot of the old school ones so i I don't know kudos to them i i don't know at that price point what you're gonna how you're gonna sell these but okay i mean it it looks kind of nice yeah. yeah. Last piece of news, and I just kind of alluded to it, but there is a slew of new ZX Spectrum Next software that came out. Yeah. Uh, first, if you did not get on the original pre-order for the Russell Pixels games, that is um, Baggers in Space, Tiverian, and Warhawk. Okay. Uh, I bought all those games physical, and they are all amazing. I would call, call them all must-buys. Um, they are now up for sale again. You can buy them for, I think they're only 15 euros each. Um, they're not trying to get rich off these things, but you can also buy them now for the first time for eight ninety nine digital only. So, oh, nice. If you do Very get your, cool. I think, I think a one, one, one of those games or maybe more than one come now with the, with the next that I'll be getting it included some games. Oh, I think it did include baggers. Okay, get, yeah, which so is, I'm going to wait, and then great. I'm going to probably go out and... I'm sure once the everybody starts getting these, these second batches of Nexts, there's going to be a run on physical games, so I'm going to have to kind of hurry and get, get some, I guess. Yeah, so um, those are great, and now, of course, you can get them digitally now, too, which is great. Mm-hmm. They eventually re- did release them vi- digital. A um, yeah. couple other games did come out specifically for the Next. One of them I have not played yet. I'm very excited about. It's called The Next War. And it's a tower defense game. Looks super cool. Um, I do hope that it's not. This doesn't become one of these things where everybody who makes a game, like, makes a a, a, a modernized version of a previous game and just throws the word next in the title, <laughs> like, <laughs> like super, like, su- uh, like super Nintendo. Yes, everything was super something. Yes, so many things yeah. like that, or or DS yeah. for Nintendo DS or whatever. Right. Um. And then a game I did play. I'll talk more about next episode, but oh my goodness, it's amazing, Eric. Delta's Shadow. Um, it was released. It is a um, sequel, a spiritual sequel to Power Blade, the Power Blade series on the NES. 
and it is better than the Power Blade games. It is absolutely amazing. If you don't have a, a Next, it does include a 128K Spectrum ROM as well you could play. Yeah. Uh, but the Next version is full-colored, and it does a lot of things the, the 128K version doesn't. And I love it. That's really cool. Play super smooth, too, huh? Oh, yeah. Love it. Uh, I Well, again... I'll talk about more next episode, but I, I beat it. I played through the whole thing uh, without stopping. I had to. Uh, Eric, that takes us up to the end of the news. Um, you and I are going to reload with some more beers, but not before we hear Eric's take, in which you will be talking about what now, Eric? The uh, little Christmas present I got, the 8-bit dough or do. I, I don't know which one that is, but 8-bit <laughs> dough uh, arcade stick. And then right after that, we'll hear from Tim with Tea Time with Tim, uh, which he is covering, I believe, the Neo Geo, which will be cool. So let's hear that. And Eric, I'll just talk to you on the flippity flop. Right on. For the month of January, for Eric's take, I will be covering a device that I got from my wife for Christmas called the 8-Bit Dough, or Do. I've heard it pronounced both ways online. I'm going to say 8-Bit Dough Arcade Stick, and it's something I really wanted, and I uh, was lucky enough to receive it for Christmas from my wife. It it's a really nice device. It got me back into uh, playing a lot of Street Fighter Two because nothing feels better than playing Street Fighter Two uh, Championship Edition with an actual arcade fight stick. And I don't always have one out, so it is nice. It was nice over the last two weeks. I spent a lot of time testing a lot of different games, and Street Fighter Two Championship Edition um, was prominent in those games, and I played the heck out of it in fact i was um it was kind of cool kind of getting back into it because i kind of lost my mojo in that game because i hadn't played it in so long and uh it was just really nice getting back into it but anyway i want to cover all the ins and outs of the stick um, things i like things i didn't like um and talk about all of its functions i think it's a very uh worthy device i i mean not to give away too much of the next segment, but uh, I'm really, really enjoying my time with it more so than any arcade stick I've had in the past. So this might get a little noisy on the mic as because I'm actually holding it in my hand. Um, the first thing you notice, um, well, I, what first thing I should say is there's a label on the back that says 8-Bit Doe Arcade Stick Model 80FE. Um, but the first thing you notice when you hold this is that it weighs a lot. There is a good heft to it. And later on when I talk about, because um, I opened this up and looked inside, I will tell you what the weight is that is inside of this. But it's got a nice weighty feel to it. And you can tell from holding it that the weight is distributed in the bottom, which is where you want it to be in an arcade stick. So that when you plant it on the surface, whatever surface you're playing with, it's not going to move around. It's not going to tip over. Uh, and it does that perfectly. So that is a big bonus. So let's talk about the unit itself. One thing that's very nice about this stick is it 
really is the colors of the original uh, Nintendo Entertainment System here in the States. It is a beige on top. It's two-tone beige on top, black on the bottom. Um, it has big, giant rubber feet on the bottom so that it stays in place, which is really nice. Um, looking at it top down, uh, there are many buttons and switches and dials, and I'll go over each one of those. Um, from the top left-hand side, well, let's go over first like what generally this is. This is an arcade fight stick. The joystick is on the left, and there are buttons on the right. The buttons, um, there are eight main playing buttons, and there are two black buttons that one is player one and player two. Um, the buttons have a very nice kind of tactile feel to them. They do return very nicely. Uh, the joystick um, is definitely a micro-switch joystick, um, so it it is very responsive and works really well. Um, I'll talk a little bit later about um, my feelings about the um, the hardware that is used in this, but just so you can visualize this, it is just a, pretty much an arcade stick. Um, then in the top left corner is where things get interesting. There, the first dial is how you turn it on, and it's set to off. If you switch the dial to the left, you go into switch mode, which you can use this with your Nintendo Switch. Uh, which I did. I paired it. It paired just fine. It works perfectly. It uh, works just as good as any wireless uh, controller or stick. I didn't notice any unusual latency with it. works really well. Um, then the next setting is off, and then the next setting is X input, which works with everything else. Uh, PC, uh, Raspberry Pi. Um, basically, it just is seen as a generic X input device. Um, I also plugged it into my Mister and uh, with the wireless receiver dongle, which I'll get to in a minute, and it worked perfectly there. In fact, it is my now standard controller that I use with my Mister, and it works perfectly. Then there are three other buttons, a green one, which is a pairing button, um, a yellow, and a blue one, and those ones can be assigned to whatever you want, but they are generally used for like a turbo button or... Um, to get to a menu, like if you're in RetroArch or something like that. Below that is a switch for Bluetooth or 2.4G. Um, I mainly use it on 2.4G. I find it a little better, I guess, radio signal, less latency on PC. When I tested on my Raspberry Pi and Mr., uh, the 2.4G was, um, I could barely detect any latency at all. There is a little, of course, under any wireless system, but it was... Um, just not nearly as noticeable as some of the other things I've tried. Um, when I do, when so when I when you put it in Bluetooth mode, that is mainly for the Nintendo Switch. Um, but I didn't notice a ton of latency there either. So I think they did a good job putting um, whatever wireless technology they used in here, and it works really well. Then the next buttons, there's there's a little LED area that shows you when it's paired. Um, then there's a select and start, which is mappable to a standard controller or a Super Nintendo controller. Um, there's also a second knob that is LS, DP, and RS. When you're when you want this thing to emulate um, a standard controller, it stands for left stick, digital pad, or D pad, or right stick. So you can simulate any of the sticks on a standard controller. So if you're in a game. Like, let's say it's a PlayStation game or something, and you want to simulate the left stick, the right stick, or the D-pad, or whatever. You can select that with that button. 
Um, and then just rounding it out, other than that, if you look in the back, there's a little door. You open the door, and it, there's a little caddy space that you can put the 2.4G receiver, which is really nice. So you can store it in the unit itself, take it, plug it into something else. Um, you, But you can store it in here, so you can plug it in and basically don't lose your receiver. And then the other one is a USB port, which is used for, it's a USB-C, it's used for charging. Uh, this thing is supposed to have about 40 hours uh, using 2.4G. Um, but you can also use this as a wired controller. If you're very finicky about the latency and you don't, you want the lowest latency possible, you can just use USB-C to plug this into a PC, uh, a Mr., um, a Raspberry Pi, and you can just go completely wired and avoid the wireless altogether. Um, other than that, it, I think that just about covers it. The rubber feet on the bottom are really nice, really nice and wide. Um, let's go into covering modifications next because they did make this thing uh, so that it would be easily modifiable. So let's talk about when I open this thing up. There's some screws on the bottom here. They're deep holes for the screw, so you're going to need to find a screwdriver that can fit the hole and go deep down into the hole to get to the screw. So you basically, if you're using a screwdriver that has a bit, um, it may not fit in here. I had to go find just a, the old school screwdriver with a long, um, you know, a long, uh, long reach to reach inside the hole. Once I opened it up, it was pretty straightforward. The top comes off and there are wires that go to circuit boards just like any kind of basic arcade setup okay so looking in there though you can the buttons are snapping buttons so you would need to replace them with other higher quality snapping buttons i don't have a problem with these buttons at all they have good um they have a good um feedback like they have good tactile feel they bounce back quickly enough when i'm playing like street fighter if i'm doing like the electricity for blanca um it works just fine um, the joystick is a little bit different, um, of a story. It, the, the leads are, oh, the wiring to the buttons is quick connect. So they're very easy to pull off and replace and put back on quick connect, the little quick connectors. No problem there. The joystick, a different story. The wires are soldered on for some reason. They decided not to use, um, the quick connects on the, uh, micro switches. So, you are going to have to get the soldering iron out and, and unsolder them, which isn't that big of a deal. There's not that many. So if you want to replace the joystick, it's not going to be a big deal. Um, what My opinion on the joystick, it is a little loose for me. Um, I like the joystick to be a little um, harder to actuate, a little stiffer. But as I played for those last two weeks, and I've played with this, uh, this arcade stick every night, I got used to it really fast, and I'm kind of starting to appreciate that it's a little looser. Uh, for faster reactions, so um, I don't really have any aspirations to replace that. It's actually a pretty nice uh, micro switch. I've never had any uh, problems. Uh, every move I made was registered. No issues there. Um, now, the bottom is interesting. So they didn't just slap in some weights. There is a big metal plate in the bottom, a very thick metal plate. That's what gives this its heft. Um, it's very well centered. Uh, it it basically gives this 
um, arcade stick a really, really great feel. But it's not too heavy where, like, if you have to play with this in your lap, it's not going to, you know, cause any kind of fatigue being in your lap or whatever. Um, so really nice there. Um, one cool thing on this device that I didn't cover when we were talking about uh, the buttons that I do want to point out, because I think it's one of its big features, and I think it's really neat. When you put this into switch mode, there's little LEDs next to every button that show you what it is. So X, Y, A, B, right trigger, left trigger, bumper. But then when you switch it to X input, the LEDs change, and they they, they reflect a more PC setup. Um, I've never seen that on an arcade stick before, and depending on what mode you're in, I think that could be really handy. Um, one thing that I haven't tested yet, but I read about online and is in the instructions, is there is an application called Ultimate 8-Bit Doe. Um, when you download that, you can remap any of these buttons, and you can even... Um, make macros so that you can have like where you hit one button and it does multiple things. Um, you can use this app to do that and then it downloads it to the actual stick. So you can just plug it into the switch and now your buttons are remapped and your macros are activated. Uh, I think that's really neat. Haven't had a need to test that out yet because I don't really need any macros or remapping yet, but it's nice that it's there. Um, so the games I've played with this thing, I mean, I played a lot of different games, but the highlights have been, um, I played. I used the stick to play Soul Force, which is a new uh, Commodore 64 sh um, horizontal shoot 'em up, which is really excellent. I played it on the Mister though, so that I could use this arcade stick because uh, it's a modern stick, doesn't have a nine pin um, connector. But I played it on the Mister, and it was just it made the game so much more enjoyable using an arcade stick. Lots of fun there uh, for. Our battle in this month in January, we are battling two shoot 'em ups, Apidia versus Insector X. Apidia is on the Amiga, and Insector X is on the Sega Genesis or Mega Drive. And I programmed this with no problems on the Mister and used this, and it was just amazing playing with them. Very, very low latency, so no problems there. Um, I think it really improved my game playing in these games. Uh, and then, of course, Street Fighter 2, which, uh, just as a side note, uh, I used to be pretty good at Street Fighter 2, and then I let many, many years go by where I didn't play it at all and kind of lost my mojo there, and I've just had a renaissance with it the, these last couple of weeks. I think I've played it every single night, and I've gotten back to where I can beat the game pretty handily on one credit. Uh, using Blanca and E Honda, those are those are my two guys. I know it's kind of weird. Most people choose Ryu or Chun Li or something like that, but I'm a Blanca and and Honda player, and and I was able to beat the game with both of those um, after about a week. And using the stick, I had no complaints. It was awesome, just as as good as the arcade system. Um, maybe not as good as a very high end arcade switch with uh, or arcade stick set up with. Uh, big, you know, professional setup with Sanwa parts and things like that. But I will say that these parts are really nice. I don't feel an overwhelming need to replace them. I think maybe down the road, I would look into maybe replacing the joystick. The buttons seem fine to me. Um, but overall, I mean, I got to give this the big thumbs up. I really, really like this um, stick, and I'm going to make this my primary arcade stick. It now has earned its... Uh, 
prestigious place as a permanent desktop fixture. So it is on my retro gaming desk all the time. So it's easy to plug in and play. So anyway, that is my review of this. I give it probably uh, maybe 9 out of 10 shurikens. I, I can't say enough good things about this this um, arcade stick. Anyhow, thanks for listening. And uh, if you have any questions on this arcade stick or anything else, make sure if you're a Patreon subscriber, you jump into to the, the Discord. And if you're not invited there, please let me know through the Patreon app, and I will send you an invite. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at pixel underscore guiden. Thanks a lot. Check with our friend over the pond. That's right. It's tea time with Tim. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Tea Time with Tim. Coming up this month, we're going to be talking about the Neo Geo, the home console, and the arcade system from the early 1990s. Have you ever wondered why, when you turn on the Neo Geo, that it says Max 330 Mega Pro Gear Spec? Well, find out all this and more on this month's Tea Time with Tim. Hey everyone, and I hope you're all keeping safe. So I was sitting back thinking about what I'm going to do this month on Tea Time with Tim when I realised I have a nice Raspberry Pi 400 just sitting next to me and nothing particular doing on it at the moment. Then I thought, hmm, let's try RetroPie and Emulation Station and see if I can finally get some Neo Geo ROMs working on this system. So let's sit back and set a few minutes aside with me to go through the Neo Geo system and some of the games I've enjoyed playing. The Neo Geo system has long been a system I have wanted to own and collect for. However, because of the system's long lifespan, there was never really a time when the system was cheap, so to speak. Just as an aside, I'm not going to cover the later Neo Geo CD system. I am aware of this one, but I didn't put it in the scope of this feature. If you didn't know, SNK did release a CD version of the Neo Geo in 1984. Also, there is the Neo Geo Pocket that we have also mentioned on the show before. I'm not going to cover this here either. This is mainly because it's based on my memories and nostalgia for the original AES home system. I would always be looking on eBay back in the mid-2000s and early 2010s, and the consoles were never any lower than around £150, and now they're in several hundreds, just for the home console and a single controller. So for the best part of the time, it has been out of reach. Now I will say right out of the gate, I'm not unfortunately going to announce that I've just stumbled across another amazing bargain. I just don't think any exists with this system at the moment. It was never a casual purchase for anyone who bought them or wanted to own them. So unfortunately I'm still without a physical console and I think it will probably remain that way for now at least. So based on that we're very lucky that emulation has come to our rescue and this is exactly where I started my journey with the Neo Geo system. In the mid-90s, when PCs started to get to a suitable spec, the emulation system I used was MAME, or Multiple Arcade Machine Emulator. This was clearly the way to go at the time. 
There were some very clever people out there reverse engineering arcade boards, and because the Neo Geo not only had a home console, the same hardware existed in arcade cabs, so you could play them exactly the same as you had on your home AVS system. Back in Osaka, Japan in 1978, a new company was created called the Shin Nihon Kikau Corporation, or shortly after it was abbreviated, thank goodness, to the SNK Corporation. The company was formed to start developing games for the rapidly developing coin-op video game market. Their first game being Nikon Kit in April 1978. This was a bat and ball game similar to Atari's Breakout. SNK would go on to make more arcade hits, notably one that's converted by elite systems in the 80s, the run-and-gun classic Akari Warriors. Further additions would be made to the board, which would eventually be the basis for the home system, that were made through sprite scaling hardware and a better sound chip in the form of the Yamaha YM2610 chip that allows up to 15 channels and up to 4 FM channels with stereo sound of up to 56 kHz. The system had a total colour palette of 65,536 colours and would allow 4,096 of those on the screen at any one time, with a maximum of 380 on-screen sprites. One of the cool features on the Neo Geo is that you could get a 2K memory card that worked on the home or arcade system and allowed you to save your game, so you could play your game at home, save off and then resume your game in the arcade. So then, what's the difference between the home and the arcade systems? Well, for a start, the packaging of the system. The home console of the AES, or Advanced Entertainment System, came in a sleek, stylized console package with nice chunky buttons and a large cartridge format. The joystick that came with it was equally impressive. It had a large base with four nice, smooth buttons and a very reactive, nice joystick. The arcade system, the MVS, multi-video system, was a standard arcade board with a cartridge slot or several cartridge slots. This was popular with the arcades at the time as you would only need one cab and you could house several games or easily swap them over. It ran the same games technically as the home system but the cartridge format was different so you couldn't use the AES home carts in the MVS arcade cabs. Currently, people are adapting the MVS boards to run in a consoleized way to allow the play of the AES format on a monitor with an AES stick or a homebrew stick. This is because the AES home system still fetches such strong money and the cartridges are way more expensive than the console to play them on. So by utilising the MVS boards and the cheaper MVS cartridges, it's a much cheaper way of actually getting to play these games in your home on real hardware. So are there any modern ways to play these games on the home console system? Well, of course, yes. Terror Onion, the company behind the Mode and the Super SD system for the Saturn Dreamcast and the PC Engine respectively, have created a cart called the Neo SD. This allows you to plug in the cartridge with an SD card into the cartridge and play the games directly from the SD card. Given the price of the Neo SD is around about $300, it does sound expensive, but when you consider that's probably the price of even just one very basic game for the system at the moment, and then opens up the whole library of games, it's a real bargain. Anyway, that's a quick run-through of the Neo Geo hardware. What about the games I hear you ask? (laughs) 
So what about that startup screen when you switch on the Neo Geo or you start up a ROM from emulation? When it plays the usual little jingle and then says Neo Geo Max 330 Mega Pro Gear Spec. Well, that's a specification ROM for the size of 330 megabits. Hence the system was displaying Max 330 Mega Pro Gear Spec upon startup. While there was no technical specifications required, some games of over 100 megabits followed this screen by displaying an animation, the 100 mega stock. The original ROM size was specs were later enhanced on cartridges with bank switching technology, increasing the maximum size to around about 716 megabits. These new cartridges also caused the system to display gigapower upon startup. That's why you see those messages when you start up a Neo Geo. I'm sure there might be one or two of you that are familiar with some of the Neo Geo games, like the Metal Slug series, King of Fighters, and of course, the classic Neo Turf Masters. What really inspired me for this episode of Tea Time with Tim to talk about the Neo Geo was that recently I acquired a Raspberry Pi 400. This has provided me with an excellent platform to run Emulation Station and a collection of ROMs that have been included in a big pack that I managed to pick up and configure. Part of this bundle came with a stack of Neo Geo ROMs and this is really what inspired me to start getting back and playing these games and I thought what a better way to cover this and do a section for Tea Time with Tim on the show dedicated to the Neo Geo. So here we go with some of the games I have played, and while they are not the most well-known, I'm sure there's a ton of gameplay to be had out of these. Maybe based on these, you might want to get an emulation setup of your very own going. That would really make me happy. Let's start in true Pixel Gaiden fashion with a shooter. We are not going for the conventional horizontal or vertical shooter. Nope, we are starting with what I think is a gem of a game, the isometric shooter called Viewpoint by Sammy from 1992. This is a sheer joy to play, running at a decent clip but not too fast. You can easily adjust to the 3D view. Unlike other ISO shooters, there is no height to this, so you don't have to worry about lining up the shot just right. It's a traditional shooter for the most part, that you have to shoot your way through each level, collecting power-ups. And there are mid-level and end-of-level bosses to beat. What I really like about this game is the flow and how well it works. The graphics and the sound are amazing as well. It keeps you coming back for more. And of course, this is an arcade release for the home, so you can keep pumping in the credits to continue if you want to. If you want something a little different in your shooters, I would really recommend this one. Next up is a game style that the Neo Geo seems to be the master of. There are a few of these top-down racers for the system, but this is one I chose as it's a real quick pick-up-and-play and gets you into the action right away. My choice here is Thrash Rally by ADK from 1991. I'm sure you know the style. It's another kind of isometric side-scroller and you control the car around rally stages. There are two modes of play. You can race across many stages, starting out in the Monaco Rally, and complete a World Rally Championship, or you can take on the many stages and the might of the Paris-Dakar. It's got nice and functional graphics and sound that accompany this game. I think they're a lot better on the platform, but I've always been more drawn to this one because of the scope of the gameplay. The next game was a real surprise to me, and maybe something I would have never have picked up in the past. 
but thanks to Cody's recommendation of Guns and Ghosts on the Commodore 64, this game struck me immediately as something very similar, so I had to give it a try. This game is called Nightmare in the Dark. This is a single-screen platformer where you must avoid and destroy the zombies and various other creatures of the night. It has an interesting mechanic. Instead of a gun, the main character, who is a grave digger, must protect the cemeteries from all the nasties by shooting fire at them. The aim is to keep shooting the fire to get them to burn and turn them into a fireball. Then you can pick them up and throw the fireball to kill the other enemies. The fireball will roll across and back down to the bottom of the screen and wipe out all in its path, depositing power-ups and potions as it goes for you to collect. I love the stylistic graphics and the atmospheric sound and the effects in this game. Another game I think is not so well known, but one I would really recommend playing as well. Moving on to my second from last game, this is a very traditional and classic based game around the age-old concept of Pong and tennis, bat and ball style games. This game is called Bang Bead and was developed by Vizco in in the year 2000. This game is a fair bit later in the Neo Geo development cycle, but while the concept is simple, they have done some amazing work graphically with the game, and rather than just two bats and balls bouncing across the screen, you have a kind of fighting game element to the way that the different characters are in the game with their different skill sets. You can choose the character you want to start with in the game and battle the others to win. Also, rather than about it just being scoring a goal past the one of the other player's bats, you first have to take out all their stars in a line behind the player. Each star is worth 500 points. Once you've smashed all the stars, you can then score by getting the ball past the player in a best out of three contest. Simple game and a simple concept, but the work they did with the sound and graphics on this is amazing, and it's worth just loading up sometimes just to see the title screen in the intro. There's also a two-player option on this, so again, there's some more scope to play this against another person should you be lucky enough to own two Neo Geo controllers. Now, the final game was going to originally be League Bowling, as this is a great 10-pin bowling game, and that was one of the first Neo Geo games I managed to get working through MAME back in the mid-90s, when you were limited to the time online and downloads that you could do. Now, I chose League Bowling because I got really frustrated with another game that requires a trackball to play. I didn't realise at the time when I first started looking at this game. This game is called The Irritating Maze. As from the title, you would expect it to be just that, irritating. But hear me out here. What got me initially about this game is it's not the sort of game that you would typically find on the Neo Geo. Normally they're shooters or platformers or puzzle games. The Irritating Maze is a fairly simple concept. The idea is you guide the ball around a maze type game. But it's fiendishly difficult. And also that's part of the beauty of the game. Along with the great animation and details to the characters in the game, there is either a man or a woman ninja type character and you have to guide their zap rod, for some reason, around the maze. The maze actually looks a bit like a pinball table in its style but with electrified walls and barriers that if you touch you get a shock and it's back to the start of the level or the previous checkpoint. 
What makes this unique is that at the start of each try, the character kind of comes on the screen and lowers the zap rod down until you see the end of the handle. And that forms the ball or the puck that you see on the screen to guide around. If you crash into the wall or an obstacle, they appear to drop the zap rod and face plant down onto the playfield and slide down the bottom of the screen. Of course, as you would expect, this whole control mechanic is irritating and frustrating. They're so sensitive, and if you start out normally with this game with just a joypad or a stick, it's totally unplayable as you need an analog control like a trackball. The first time I loaded up, I wanted to play it but was so frustrated with the control and thought why the heck did someone take the time to convert it? Then by accident I moved one of the analogue sticks on my PS3 pad that I used to play on the emulation station and this allows you to get the slow quick movement you need to, z- to guide the zap rod around. While it does not stop the game's frustration, it does however make it playable and to my surprise I wanted to keep playing this over and over again. So I did a little bit of research and I found out that this was truly a unique game insofar as it was a one-off cabinet just for the arcade. It never had a home version of it and it also was was a very interesting cabinet. It had a trackball, two buttons and a series of lights and even air jets that would blow on you to distract you as you played. It was not a big success and therefore it makes it so rare these days, but at least we can play the game while using an analogue stick on a modern pad. I would recommend checking this out just for sheer curiosity and if you do, don't forget you need that analogue control set up. So that's my selection of a few Neo Geo games that I decided to play for this month's Tea Time with Tim. As you may or may not know, Pixel Gaiden are blessed to be part of the Amigos Retro Gaming Network, where you can find our episodes and many other fine retro and retro-inspired podcasts like Amigos, ARG Presents from the legends that are Amiga Aaron, Boat and the Brent. You can also listen to the amazing Sprite Castle by Rob Flack O'Hara. And if you support us on Patreon, you can also get access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Network Discord channel. And deep inside there, you will find the Pixel Gaiden channel. It's only a little space where you can chat to myself, Cody and Eric, should you wish. I'm mentioning this because I decided to reach out to people in our Discord channel and see if they had any specific memories of the Neo Geo themselves. One of our amazing patrons, Mitsuyama, replied with, I remember seeing the Neo Geo in magazines and thinking, man, I'll never have one of those, but now I can emulate it on a Pi. How great is that? He goes on to say, Turf Masters is obviously a go-to game, but I really enjoy the Metal Slug games. The level of details in the graphics and the animations add character to the games. This is sometimes hard to spot when you're caught up in the action of playing, but it really stands out when watching someone else play. The games are loaded with secrets and multiple paths, so it seems there is always something new to discover. While it's tempting to shove in a load of credits and use continues, the games really come alive when you restrict yourself to one credit and keep replaying them to get better. They make for some real great high score challenges. Thanks for that message, and I really appreciated the feedback. Also, the Amigo's very own boat sent me a photo of his main cabinet that he had dedicated to his favourite game, Windjammers. Not one I have played myself, but I'm going to catch up with this, and many of the other amazing games for this amazing system.
So that's it for my journey into the brightly lit screens of the Neo Geo cabs and the home system. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any memories of the Neo Geo or would like more information on my setup, come and join us on Discord or send me a tweet to at Sanxion, that's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. All the show contact details are in the notes with this podcast. Until next time, stay safe, everyone. All right, we are back here in modern times, Eric and I, in the studio. Separate studios. Separate. Separate because of the disease, the plague that is affecting everyone. Why do you got to bring that up? We're just doing it by choice. It's a fun, (laughs) creative limitation that we've created for ourselves. Uh, Eric, let's go ahead and crack open our next beer before we start our sixth good game segment. Yes, uh, w- which one are we going to open now? Because we got a. We, well, we, we tried one of prepared. mine. We tried one of mine. Let's try one of yours. What do you, what do you okay. got? Let's do the volcano mudslide. All right. So I'm holding here while Eric grabs might, that. Hey, we vol- might as well get these tall boys out of the way, right? Yep. 16 fluid ounces of deliciousness. Well, hopefully, deliciousness. Apparently, this beer is a sweet stout from Feather Falls Brewing Company. That is uh, right. So I'm taking a look at it. Volcano mudslide. Sweet Stout, 6% alcohol, Feather Falls Brewing Company. Uh, Full-bodied with a deep, dark color and a creamy foam head. Features scents reminiscent of coffee and chocolate. Pronounced roasted malt flavors are balanced with a sweet, creamy finish. That sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good to me. Sweet Let's Stout, interesting. Now, I w- to, to put this, pl- this one is uh, fairly local as well. It is, yeah. It is north of Sacramento, about an hour and a half. And I hate to, bring, to, to be negative or be a downer here, but... Just so people around the world know, this is um, just a few miles from, you know, uh, Paradise, where everyone, the fires happen and everyone knows Paradise because of those fires. But this is a brewery that's right there yeah. and uh, apparently going strong. And let's see how this thing tastes. I'm excited. Let's do it. Cracking it open. One thing that I wanted to mention, too, this is a sweet stout using non-fermentable lactose sugar derived from milk in the brew. And that's why it's called sweet stout. Non-fermentable lactose. Yeah, that sounds delicious. That was my nickname in high school. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric. Whew, look at this thing. So that is a darker beard than the last one. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say cheers, my friend. Cheers. All right. Uh, got a good, yes. got a good uh, stout smell to it. It does. Very good. It's very, it's, it does have a chocolatey smell to it. Oh, that's a good hearty stout. Yep, and it, 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 it when I saw this one and it said sweet stout, I, I was a little worried it would be too sweet, but it's not at all. It tastes like a very good solid stout with a lot of flavor. Yeah, no, I, I, I was, yeah, I almost imagined like sweet and sour pork or something where it was going to be like sickly sweet. Right, um, I was just a little worried about that, but this is good. Oh, it's really good. Actually, it's got more more than sweet. I'm getting um, like char. I'm getting the char, char like like um, you ever drink coffee that's a little burned? Yeah, like burned, yeah, exactly. Bur- it's like a burned coffee flavor mm. with um, with with chocolate overtones. Most people aren't going to agree with me on this, but I do love when like at, at our our work, which is very blue collar, um, we put on a pot of, pot of coffee in the morning and kind of leave it on all day. And by the time it's yeah. done, there's a little bit at the bottom that like boils off, and then it actually just start to burn a little bit. Yep, and you have that last cup in there after that. Yep, that's what it tastes like, in yeah. a good way. 
I like. Yeah. What's our rating scale on this one going to be? Uh, well, let's talk about uh, it's a volcano, volcano mudslide. Let's do, let's do volcanoes. Yeah, let's do um, let's do ninety nine volcanoes. How about how about ninety nine uh, liters of molten magma? <laughs> magma, <laughs> magma. Um, ninety nine units of magma. That's good. Let's do that. <laughs> I love it. I am going to... I'm going high on this one. I really like it. I'm going to give it 92, Eric. Man, yeah. I am I think I'm going to give it a 90. I mean, I, I like it. I'm right up there, too. I, I think it's... Hmm. The funny thing is that peanut butter... That lead, lead dog, lead dog, um, peanut butter stout. Yeah, the one your I, beer I of the year last year. One. Yeah, I, I'm trying to compare it to that one, probably, because they're both stouts. I prefer this. Really? See, it's a toss-up for me, but I, I think I do... I think I prefer this one. Yeah. You do? So I'll okay. give it a 90. So that, this, yeah. this beats your beer of the year last year. Yeah, I think so. I, well, this is definitely my beer of the year so far this year, so... <laughs> well done. I love it. Um, it sorry, Elvis. Uh, <laughs> oh, poor Elvis. <laughs> you know, guy can't depend can't on himself. Break. <laughs> um, Eric, it's time for us to battle... Uh, not to battle. Not to battle. But to talk not about... battle today. Six... Good old-fashioned video games. Good games. Now, Eric, you picked the uh, topic for this month's battle, or six good games. I did. Which I was? Did. And which, which was ninja games. Games that have ninjas in them, on them, over them, in any way you want to choose. But they have to have be have to be related to ninjas in some way. Okay. Okay. Well, again, Eric, you didn't specify that. You just said ninja games to me. Yeah, it was um, assumed. So I will say two things. Number yeah. one, uh, when we did Christmas games, there was a <laughs> bunch of terrible Christmas games. Hardly any good ones. Oh, horrible! Uh, in this case, there are even more ninja games, and they are almost universally good. I found so many good ninja games. <laughs> Yeah, it's so much so that like my first one that we'll be talking about in a second is I just picked it because it's one of my favorite games, but it has a ninja in it. All right, um, and now there's a couple uh, a couple people on Discord that threw out some ideas. Actually, I'm sorry on uh, Twitter. Yeah, uh, threw out some ideas. Um, one in particular, our our uh, our buddy who started his own podcast, uh, Retro Gaming Bygones. Yeah, uh, was it Adam. His name's Adam. Yeah. Yes, uh, he started throwing out some games and I realized every game he threw out was on the master system. And there are a lot of ninja games on the master system. Yeah. Um, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, so anyways, we'll go into honorable mentions when we're done here. The other thing I want to mention is some of the games that people threw out, in my opinion, were not ninja games because a lot of people throw in samurais as ninjas. That's right. And I, I almost fell into that trap too. There was a game I tried that I was like, yep, this is, oh, it was Bushido. Oh, I'll just give it away. It was Bushido Blade, right? I okay. Yeah. That yeah. Game yeah. On yeah. PS1. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is my ninja game. I read through the documentation and it's like, these are samurais. <laughs> and so I was like, nope, I'm not going to do that because this is a ninja game. I almost chose Samurai Pizza Cats. <laughs> that, that just gives it away, though. <laughs> That's not a ninja. Do you remember that, that cartoon? It was like a fake Ninja Turtles, which is a ninja, by the way. I don't uh, remember. Yeah. Uh, samurai, it was, I mean, they straight up tried to do the whole, like, four-name Samurai Pizza Cat, Super Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> there's a bunch of those. Uh, what was another one that, um, oh, there was another one that did the exact same thing. I can't remember it right now. 
Uh, the other thing I wanted to check on, too, is so when I heard that, I'm like, what is the difference? So I mm-hmm. looked online. First of all, uh, samurais are very much um, documented as a thing in Japan, uh, mm-hmm. mostly during feudal Japan, where each house, all these houses, mm-hmm. it was kind of like Game of Thrones back then. Each house had its own area, right. and those houses had hired uh, or ro- you know rose up through the ranks uh, these people who were paid or, or their job was to defend the house, the territory, and they were samurais and they were high-ranking military people and they fought each other and did all these things. Whereas ninjas were typically um, first of all, they were nothing, almost nothing like the ninjas that we portray them as today, but they were right. typically uh, hired mercenaries or people mostly doing spying on things. Um, they yeah. were indeed known for stealth um, and they kind of... Uh, a lot of them were farmers or things like that that kind of ended up doing this stuff on the side. Um, but a lot of the things that we portray them as now visually or what they're up to, like walking on water or being invisible, uh, believe it or not, Eric, they didn't actually do that. Right. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> so anyways, there's a lot on there and a lot of conflicting information. But the, the truth is the samurais have a historied path and the ninjas were very well mysterious, even even in what was real and what wasn't at this point. So Right. Nonetheless, let's dive into some games. Uh, Eric, I think you went first. I, I think went I, first last time. I did, did you? Yep. Right. Yeah, so why don't you go first this time? All right. I it started with hey, who would have thought a master system game, Eric? Um, and <laughs> this is a game I've been wanting to play, so I'm glad I got to play it. Um, and it is, in my opinion, only the only one of two good Alex Kid games, and it is Alex Kid in Shinobi World. Um, I know that, uh, so Shinobi, I guess, is the Japanese pronunciation for Ninja. I tried okay, to look that up because you hear Shinobi a lot. Yeah, um, I heard Shinobi, and I, I, what was the big game with Shinobi in it? Um, Shinobi. Is it just Shinobi? <laughs> yeah, or was it Revenge of Shinobi or Shinobi 3 right. or Cyber Shinobi? There's a lot of Shinobi games. Um, all right, so Alex Kidd in Shinobi, in Shinobi World. In fact, let me, I, I failed to pull up video of this so we can, so we can, discuss and look at it at the same time uh yeah these master system alex kid games were really hit and miss the first the first one was miracle world and it was great and then i think they they hit a few rough patches every game feels completely different and that's no different with shinobi world where they literally took kind of the formula for a shinobi game made Mm -hmm. it a little bit easier and shoved alex kid in as the main character um Eric, if you can't tell when I am talking, I can't internet very well. <laughs> if you're watching what I'm trying to look up, like I'm doing stupid stuff, like writing Alex Kid Kid, enter. Um, all right, here we go. We got we got some, some gameplay up here for you to watch. Uh, so first of all, I will tell you right now, this game was a whole lot of fun, and I did play it to completion. Um, have you played a lot of the Shinobi games? I've played a... Oh, Shinobi games. Um, yes. So it even starts the same way where you kind of see an over-world over, um, map of mm-hmm. Japan. Like feudal Japan or something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, actually, it doesn't well, look no, like... no, no, that's a building. It looks that's like a modern a, building. A portion okay. of Japan, and it is modern, yes. Yeah. But yeah. you kind of... it's Even though it shows you this map, you can't choose where to go. It's very linear. Okay. Um, but even the gameplay where you run and you attack... Um, uh, you actually oh, wow. have these... these um, 
crates and stuff that you're jumping up on. Just like in Shinobi, the enemies, they face one direction attack. They don't turn around if you jump over them. <laughs> um, and the gameplay is the same, where you can jump up onto buildings or jump down from buildings, uh, from like different levels of the buildings. Um, enemies f- fight in very similar ways. But there's a key mechanic in this game, you're watching it now, where if there are like horizontal, or I'm sorry, vertical poles in the air, you can climb up them and use this spinning move where you throw yeah. yourself horizontally across the entire screen until you hit something. Um, and it, the div- game is divided into four uh, zones, if you will, with a few different levels in each zone. And you, of course, see the kind of almost, almost like a playing card of the final boss you're going to end up fighting. Um, without seeing this, it's hard to kind of describe it, but of course it's a side-scrolling action game where you're, uh, you look like a ninja, except you're not masked. In fact, you just see Alex Kidd's big, dumb, uh, very monkey-esque face. Um, yeah, he's got big ears. Yeah. Uh, very primate. Um, but it's just a solid, f- fun game. There's plenty of health to go around. Uh, it's definitely easier than the Shinobi games, which you kind of have to memorize and do everything perfectly. Um, but it's not—it's not a pushover. It's, there's a challenge there, and uh, you kind of get some power-ups, um, moving platforms, a lot of platforming in this particular game, more so than Shinobi, I would say. Um, oh, I like that you can hit the ninja stars when he throws them. You know, they, they, they go back to him. That's yeah, pretty cool. he ricocheted that right back to the guy. You know, what's interesting about that is I learned about that maneuver, uh, maneuver just now. I didn't even know you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I like it. I like that kind of stuff. It is cool. You can also wall jump in this game. So in this part of the level here, you can see he's going to break down through these um, different floors of this building and he's going to have to wall jump his way out of it. Um, and of course, you got boss battles. Uh, the graphics are just solid. I mean, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I would say they're good. I wouldn't say they're amazing, but they're just good, solid, chunky, cartoony oh, man, especially graphics. Especially for Master System, this looks so. The colors are bright. The colors are very distinctive. Um, no, I, I've never played this game, but it looks really good. Yeah, I'm, I had a blast with it. Um, it's funny you see here. It's kind of like Mario in that there's underwater stages. Right. Actually, this is more like Alex Kid, which has underwater stages. So it's very much a, a mix of the two. Um, but what's interesting is just like an Alex kid, if you go down a level or get sucked down into a hole, you don't die. You just go into a different part of the game. Yeah. Um, here's some, some scuba ninjas. You can see, wow, there's one ups everywhere. I didn't get all these one ups. Anyways. Um, I don't know what else to say about it, except it's a whole heck of a lot of fun and it looks good. I played it straight through. I think, um, the first time I played it, I used up all my continues and had to restart. The second time I played it, I was able to beat the game. Um, so it's definitely a one night. If you want to put a few hours into one night and finish a game, this is a good game to do it with. And I had a great time doing it. Um, even the cool. boss battles are fun. They felt very much to me almost like Mega Man, where once you understand what the boss does, it's very easy. Not easy, but it's um, very repeatable to fight him without getting hurt. Yeah, It's more about learning the boss than... Uh, trying to perfect how you fight him. Yeah. So, great game. Yeah, it looks great. What's your game? The first one I picked is a game that I, whenever I get a new system or try a new system, I always want to see if this game is available because it came out on so many different systems. But I played it a ton on uh, my Commodore 64 when I was a kid. It was one of my favorite games as a kid, and I did beat it as a kid. Um, That's amazing to me. 
Yeah, and this game is Bruce Lee. Of course it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Aww. I, I instantly think of Chuck Norris getting his chest hair ripped out. <laughs> You've seen that movie, right? No, I don't think oh. so. The one where he fights Chuck Norris, he literally grabs Chuck Norris's chest hair, rips it out, and then blows yeah. it into his face. <laughs> it's a classic Bruce Lee moment. So Bruce Lee is on everything you can imagine. Uh, Atari, C64, Atari 800, um, Spectre, the, the Spectrum, uh, 48K. Uh, there have been different kind of reimaginings of this. I think there was one on Commodore 64 called Tiger Claw. Um I mean, you can find this on almost every system back, in, like 8-bit system the 8-bit back in the day. I think even the Amiga had some ports of it, too. Something, I think so. I'm not quite sure on that. But I do think the Commodore 64 version is the, probably the best version. Uh, although the Atari one is so similar that it's, it's really great, too. Um, it is a game where you are Bruce Lee and you are running around on flick screen. It's a flick screen platformer where you're jumping up to grab lanterns. And occasionally the bosses are not the bosses, but the bad guys show up and they are almost um, you don't even really have to fight them. If you don't want to, you can just avoid them and go grab lanterns They're a nuisance. Yep. But you do have a kick and a punch that you can use um, to defeat them. And one of them is a ninja, a black ninja that has is carrying around this stick or staff and he's chasing you around just trying to kill you. Um, the other one is probably the more famous uh, enemy in Bruce Lee, which is the sumo warrior. His name's, uh, what is it, Yamo? Yama- Yamato. Oh, Yamo? Is it Yamato or Yamo? No, it's, I think it's just Yamo, I think. I don't remember, but he's a green sumo guy, and he'll make noises every once in a while. He'll open his mouth and go, wah. <laughs> and um, it, it, Bruce Lee was the first platformer I ever really, other than Jumpman, was the first platformer I really fell in love with because it's simple. Grab the lanterns, but the levels are very challenging. I don't know if I'd call them puzzles. They're more like like solving action problems. Yeah, I mean they're puzzles. Uh, like there's little there's little like barriers, little barriers that run back and forth, and you don't want to get crushed. Like if you're climbing a ladder, there's like these little needles that come out of the ceiling, and you don't want to get crushed by those or stuck by those. Um, there's little fountains that shoot fire up. Um, and while you're trying to figure this out, that's why you have these two enemies that are constantly chasing you around trying to kill you. Um, it is not what I would call an easy game, but if you put time in it, you can beat it. It's not impossible. It's it's um, it's definitely a beatable game, um, but it is a classic, classic platformer. So if you haven't played this, I I highly recommend it. And it's a very iconic game. Uh, game an 8-bit game i mean i know there's been t-shirts and and all sorts of things made with the little bruce lee sprite image um so anyway bruce lee have you played this one a lot cody you know i when i first got my commodore I, the first thing i did was look up you know popular games on commodore and this was always up in the top one or two mm-hmm. um so i did give it a, ch- a, a try i've tried multiple times to get into this game and i do like it i think i struggle with the fact that when you fall you fall so slow that mm-hmm. it was just really hard for me to get the timing right on how, how to fall at the right rate of speed to not get shot by those little blasts of air or whatever they are. Yeah. Um, you so gotta I, get used to that one for sure. I never got used to it, and so I always got really frustrated, and it always seemed really hard to me. But hearing you tell me that it's beatable and it's doable, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just need to sit down and give it some time. Uh, it it is a fun game. It is very unique in the way that the physics work and the way it it doesn't feel like any other game. So I think um, if you grew up with it, you love it, and if you didn't grow up with it, you have to kind of learn to love it. That's um, right. I mean, back in the day, this was like it. Like, oh my, oh, this is the, just an amazing game. But nowadays, with all the new modern kind of platformers, you do have to, like you said, you kind of have to adjust your expectations for this kind of game. But it's worth it. It And it does get very challenging. If you like a challenge in your video games, it does get very challenging towards the end. Because there is a little bit of puzzle solving. You have to go and do certain things to, there's like these little trap doors that open up. Uh, to let you to get to different levels and you have to figure out what, what you're going to do to make that happen. Uh, see where he's standing right now. That's a trap door below him that opens up that you can fall through. If you can find the right things to get, to make that trap door open. So anyway, that's my first game. What's your next game? Well, my next game I'm checking. <laughs> ah, game boy advance. We don't talk about that too much on here. No. Um, but on the Game Boy Advance, uh, there was a few Ninja games on there. Uh, the one I am selecting is one that I've been wanting to play for quite a while because I've heard great things about it. It's kind of a, uh, it's on a lot of people's hidden gems lists. Mm-hmm. Um, Game Boy Advance, and it is called Ninja 5.0. And Eric, you know what, yep. we know what the, the terminology 5.0 is, right? Yeah, oh, of course I do. I come from the hood. <laughs> So five zero, I, I you know, I, I know it means cops. Um, That's right. Is it <laughs> just for just for you people out there who don't? Know. <laughs> it means cops. Um, but what is that from? What that's, that's got to mean? Is that like a code for like a? Is that police code like five zero on its way or something like that or police force or I don't know what that means. I, yeah, you know what? I don't really know exactly what that means. I know that. <clears throat> You know, back in the day, the, a lot of the CHP ran ran around in Mustangs that were five zero Mustangs, but. Um, Really? I don't. I, huh. Yeah, but I, I don't think that's what it means in this context at all. I think it's I like no when idea. they say like one eight seven is homicide or whatever. I think five zero just is a term for police. Maybe we should I, stop. I, we should I, stop spouting lies on our show. In the uh, hood, they never explained it. In the hood, you didn't I just you knew do. what it meant. You had to know. You just need to know Whirly Bird and five zero, right? Uh, or Ghetto Bird, I guess. Well, um, I do know that one. <laughs> I'm trying to blow this thing up so we can see it better. Come on, come on, come on. There it is. All right, so here's Ninja 5.0, and it is a great hidden gem on the Game Boy Advance. And mm-hmm. uh, it's cool because you are basically playing through these small stages, and as you beat stages, you can save the game. So you save your progress, and you are just a straight-up ninja. Uh, it's like it's like a ninja meets Die Hard, Eric. You're going into these like office buildings <laughs> yeah, uh, where there's terrorists kind of taking over the place, and you can see right there there was a hostage. And... Um, there, it's platforming, but it's also, um, you've got like a grappling hook, so it's almost like Bionic Commando that way, where you can jump up onto ledges. Right. Uh, of course, we have to question the building designer in this case, because how do people get to that door that is literally two stories up with no stairs? Um, <laughs> that's that, right. That's, that's how the, the contractor built this particular thing. But those grappling hooks you can swing back and forth on and pull yourself up, Um there's bad guys that, you know, they they all just kind of stand in place and shoot at you in predetermined amounts of time. So it's more, more of a timing game when it comes to actually killing the enemies. Or in the case of that guy there, he had a hostage, so you can come from behind him and just kill him. 
if you come from the front, uh, they'll hold the hostage so you can't shoot them. Otherwise, you'll shoot the hostage. You have to wait for them to put the hostage kind of out of the way to shoot at you, and then you shoot them. Um, and essentially, each level is you know a different um, building in which you go in and out of these different doors, fighting different things, trying to collect uh, three different keys, uh, red, yellow, and blue, I believe. And each key opens up new doors, so you can go in there and kill more baddies to find another key to open another door until you finally leave the, the building. Um, you can also collect things in there while you're, while you're playing to try to get uh, the top score, which I believe is 5,000 points uh, for each stage. Um, you can see in this case there's some bigger... Um, Samurai-looking guys. Um, I without uh, I guess visually seeing the game, I'm not sure what else to say about it except it's a good time. Uh, the the games are kind of puzzle elementy, kind of like Bruce Lee, if you will. Right. Um, but it's quicker action. It takes a little more. Uh, it's not easy. The, each level, even starting from the second level, is kind of difficult. And um, I'm looking at a long play here. Whoa. Of course, my internet's doing all kinds of funky things for me. Anyways, solid game. Uh, pretty solid graphics. Fast gameplay. And I love the fact that you can pick up, play a little bit, save your progress, come back to it later. Um, often considered, you know, a top 10 game on the Game Boy Advance for people who know about it. Yeah, and I've played this one. I, I, I didn't have a Game Boy Advance back in the day when it first came out, but when I got the first one that I got a few years back, uh, when I got the EverDrive for it, I looked up best you know games on the Game Boy Advance, and that was always t- in the top list. And I probably played it for a good three or four days straight, and and I mean not continuously, of course, but um, but I if I was pressed to name my top five Game Boy Advance games of all time, Ninja Five O would d- be in there for oh, sure. Oh, cool! Yeah, I didn't know you had played this one, so perfect. I have. I played it quite a bit, and I really. I really did enjoy it. And it is, if, if you haven't played Ninja five and you have a game boy advance, you should seek it out. Cause it is really, really that if you look at the animations on the Ninja and the enemies and stuff, it, it, it there's nothing better on the game boy advance. I mean, it looks visually fantastic. Cool. I'm glad you concur. Yep. Eric game. Number two for you is Strider. Strider. The arcade version. No, I, I mean, it's not the one I've played. I, I didn't honestly even know it was an arcade game until after I played the oh, Genesis really? version. <laughs> okay. And then I did go I did go and play the arcade version, but I played the, uh, the Genesis version first. This is a game, the reason I picked it is it's a game that I've loaded and played for, you know, an hour here and there, but I'm horrible at it. And it's a game I want to get better at because I really like the game. Um, visually it's outstanding and has giant sprites for the characters. Um, but it was, it's just a game I just have never been good at. And, and I, I go online and I read about it and people are like, yeah, it's a tough game. It's not easy. Well, it's an um, arcade game. It's a quarter muncher. <laughs> it is a quarter muncher. Yep. And even the home consoles didn't really dial down the, the um, difficulty too much, but you basically are. And I, I, I wanted to make sure of this cause I, it's a game that I wanted to go back and play. And I did play a lot of it in the last uh, three weeks. Um, I wanted to make sure he was a ninja and he is in fact a ninja. And I was trying to look for like the, 
the wording in the game and I, or, but I can't find it. I, I should have highlighted this, but kind of like, kind of like Alex Kidd in Shinobi world. He wears like a, like a dark blue ninja costume, but with no head cover. So you still see his hair and his face. That's right. Yeah. But it said specifically, and I can't find it here. Um, there he is. There he is the youngest ever super a ranked member of an organization of high tech ninja agents known as the striders. Oh, he's a high tech ninja. That's completely he's different. He's a high tech ninja that doesn't count. agent. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I wanted to make sure and he is. So um, it basically is a game where it is a platformer. You're running around. You have this weapon. I forget what its name is. There is a name to it. Isn't it strider? Is that is that the name of the weapon? I thought it was. Okay, let's let's call it that. <laughs> I'll look it up while you do your uh, while you do your talking thing. Yep, but it is a you you have this weapon that is almost looks like a swoosh when you're when you're using it, and like I said, your character is very large on the screen, which is pretty unique because usually in platformers your character is pretty small on the screen and you have a bunch of platforms. This isn't like that. It's more like almost like a Sonic, right? Like it's the the characters are big, but it's got maybe one way to go and maybe like a fork and that you can go off of. I mean, it's not like it's, it's kind of linear in that fashion, but there's so much frantic action on there. Yeah. With huge that, sprites. Yeah. They're, they're, but they're very well animated, huge sprites on there. Gonna, your, your goal is to just clear levels when you hit, there's like these little robot dudes that when you hit them, <clears throat> they can become on your side. And so they're following you around shooting at enemies um, you can get, I think you can get power-ups for your weapon, um, that make the, make it, you know, work more effectively, I guess. Um, but the goal is to get to the end of the levels and you face bosses and you beat them. And that's pretty much the game, but it, it's, I found that I find this game very challenging when you jump to, it's like you, you do a flip in the air. <laughs> yeah. This game is very aesthetically unique in that. Yeah. He, the way he moves is very odd, but somehow it works and he does this big old like cartwheel flip in the air. He can mm-hmm. hang onto walls. He can jump and grab like ledges and pull himself up. So he's kind of, you see things constantly in the level, like how am I going to get anywhere? And then you jump and all of a sudden he's grabbing something you didn't know you could reach or get to. Right. And then unlike other games where you can see a hook that you could hook onto or whatever, um, you can just jump and just see if you can grab onto something. And if it does, he will grab onto it and you can swing from there and go to different areas of the screen. Like right there, Um, he just grabbed the underside of stairs. Yeah. (laughs) Like I would not have thought that would be a thing you can grab, but he can. And you can see that his, I guess we're going to call it a strider. The, the weapon is, he, this guy has gotten did, some power-ups, so the strider is longer now. So I just looked so it up. It is uh, it is called the Cypher. The Cypher, there you go. And I is, knew it was uh, called something. Apparently it is, uh, his name is Hiru. And right. uh, it is, the Cypher is also known as the Light Sword Cypher. So what, what, and this is what I remember when I was a kid, I was like, what is that thing he's doing? What is that weapon? And apparently yeah. I think it's supposed to be a sword slashing so quickly that all you see is the arc. Yeah. Um, but I never saw it as that. It always looked like some weird sprite. <laughs> right. But cool it looking. A very cool looking. And uh, like you said, when you power it up, it, it almost goes half the screen. Yeah. I mean, you can see him right now. He's powered up. And when he when he fires, it's like, I mean, it's a game you really should try out. I mean, it's it's fun, but it is very difficult. Have you have you played a lot of this game? So, when I, yeah, when I was a kid, I actually um, played Strider on the NES because that's my buddy had. 
And okay. it was not a great version. It was nothing like this. Um, and the sword even looked weirder. So I remember eventually playing it on the Genesis. I've never played the arcade, and it just felt good. Um, but I had the same issue, not issue, but the same uh, mentality you did, which is this game is hard. Um, really hard. I'm not sure. I'm sure you would if you put more time into it, get better at it. But mm-hmm. it's almost like there's so much going on all the time that I couldn't figure out what you're, what I'm doing wrong, aside from trying to kill the things that move. Uh, so I think it, I'd have to put a lot of time into it to figure out how to get better at it. Uh, what I, Watching this complete gameplay here, what I find interesting is you can tell it's an arcade game uh, because not only is it graphically really impressive, um, but it's a very difficult game that eats quarters, and if you are as good as the player is here that we're watching... The game only takes, let's see, he beat the game here at, right here, 17 minutes to beat, if you know what you're doing. Wow. <laughs> if you're good, but... Uh, Which I've yes. never realized, I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, it's pretty, I mean, it's, I get it's, if I recall, it's mostly linear, like you said, there's a few forks, but I mean, if you play the game straight through without dying, that's probably about right, then, 17 minutes, it's not like you can go right. slower... I mean, enemies continue to attack you. You always have to move forward, right? That's right. And then that's good for a quarter muncher, right? I mean, I yeah. played one. I I did. I've been playing a lot of Street Fighter Two, and I, I think within a half an hour, I beat it on one quarter. And if you know, that's not bad for an arcade game if you're sitting there playing it on one quarter. I mean, it's they don't want you to be there all day on one quarter. So yeah, that's that's, that's a good point. Yeah, I yeah. guess I guess in the early uh, ages of video games, when arcade operators were doing stuff, people got so good at those early games that they'd be on hours on one quarter, right? And so that's why eventually they had to make harder versions of Pac-Man or different versions of games so that people couldn't sit there and hog the machine and not let it make money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think by this point, which would have been like the early '90s, late '80s, uh, they kind of had a, a formula for how to eat quarters, and then once people got good enough at the game. They were out of there in 17 minutes, regardless. <laughs> right. And this game came out. I was reading this here. This game came out in the arcades in 1989. And this version on the Genesis came out in 1990. Yeah. That was a- and there was a Master System version of this on in 91. But I don't, I'm not seeing a NES version. It's interesting that you played it on that on the Nintendo. So if I remember correctly, the NES version was called Strider 2048. Oh, okay, 20, it's a different, slightly different game. Yeah, I think they, uh, they. I'm guessing, I'm <laughs> guessing they probably couldn't fit Strider onto the nest because these big sprites are a big part of the gameplay. That's true. And they probably started trying to do it and realized that this game isn't going to work this way. And they changed a bunch of it and said, you know what, we'll call it Strider, but we'll make, we'll put twenty forty eight at the end and make it something different because it's not Strider. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Anyways, cool. Yeah. So I'm ready for your next one. You better be. My next, I'm ready. my next game is a GameCube uh, classic, kind of like a hidden gem slash classic, kind of like um, the last game I covered on the Game Boy Advance, and it is called I Ninja. Have you played this one? I have not played this one. No. So this is one I've always heard about. Again, kind of like Ninja Five O. Um, in fact, I had it on. Uh, it's one of like eight games I put on my. I actually burned from a GameCube before I started playing through them. Uh, so when I went to play this one, I sure enough had it already loaded and ready to go. Um, but it's a kind of funny tongue-in-cheek. Uh, you can see some of the cutscenes here. You're this little... Um, 
don't know how you describe that art style. There's little 3D generated uh, ninja made out of one big round circle for a head and a kind of small body, kind of chibi. Yeah, I was going to say, it's almost like a 3D chibi Yeah, model. yeah. And uh, basically, uh, it's a really fun... It is challenging. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get to the gameplay here for you. 3D uh, action hack and slash platformer game. That one, um, yeah, it, like uh, watching those cutscenes, I was like, okay, whatever. And then like this, this looks right at my alley. Yeah, and it's fun. Um, there are, if you don't like the camera issues, the <laughs> the camera, you do have to control the camera yourself, mm-hmm. um, which can be an issue, especially, actually, it might work for you. The camera controls are backwards, kind of like a flight simulator. Okay. <laughs> so I struggled with that. That's my one gripe on the game. This part's really cool. So after you hack and slash a bunch of ninjas, there's these cool kind of mini games almost built into the action you're already playing, like this one where he's um, going up and down this ramp to gain it's like more a half pipe. like half pipe, yeah, to gain more speed to get up to the other side. Yeah. And then here you get on these tracks, and you have a chain, like a lot of ninja games have a chain that you can grab these hooks uh, to help you get around corners and things. So it almost becomes a racing game at points. Um, the first section of the game here is what I played through so far. Uh, you can see right now he's almost like a grinding on these rails. Actually, you know, the game reminds me a whole lot if you've played Ratchet and Clank. Yeah. It reminds me a whole lot of Ratchet and Clank. A lot of similarities. Um, but this first world comprises of three levels, and essentially you're going to each level trying to find these... Uh, in fact, you have one right here. Uh, two eyes from this large robot that used to protect this area. Yeah. And then his heart. And so in this case, in, the, in this part of the game here, you've found the first eye... You hop onto it and hug it like a bear, <laughs> and uh, now you are basically rolling this ball around, and that becomes a game of its own. Uh, now you're uh, this ball rolling down a tube, and they call it eye bowling, because <laughs> you're the robot <laughs> eye, and you're trying to avoid these columns, and you're always trying to collect coins, which of course gets you power-ups and more lives and things. Um, and you're basically trying to get this big... Uh, robot eye back to the main robot to shove it in his face to get the main, main robot back up and running. Meanwhile, it's eye bowling because ninjas are in the way and you're knocking them aside with this big ball. Um, without seeing this, I probably just sound like I'm rambling about like five different games, and it really is a whole bunch of kind of different games in one, but the gel that keeps it all together is that 3D action uh, hack and slash platforming um, done in kind of a cutesy family-friendly way, but not without its challenge. Um, I died multiple times on each level, but was able to progress further and further each time, which is good. And then when you beat the level, you can save at a save point. So, right, this looks fantastic. I think it, uh, I'm I'm gonna probably get a copy of this because it looks really good. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to it after we. Uh, this is, and then this level is a whole different style here. The gameplay itself is the same, but this game is this level is more about stealth. You got these robots down here that are scanning the area, and you're trying to get by them. Mm-hmm. Uh, while breaking all these computers that are on the wall without getting caught. Otherwise, they send you back to the beginning of the level. So it, it, the gameplay itself stays the same, but the goals change, thus kind of changing the style of the gameplay by its nature. I don't know. It's it's fun. Right. It, it looks fantastic. Fresh. It's fun. I, I'm going to get this. I, I've taken note. Taken note. Perfect. Taken That's note. my last game, Eric. What's yours? So this game uh, has a little bit of a story behind it, which I think is really cool. So I went on because I wanted to I, – I love Pico 8 games. I know you do too. 
so I wanted to start including those a lot more in six good games and, and, and so, and so forth. So I went and looked up ninja games on Pico eight <laughs> and you can imagine there's not, there, there are some pretty bad games on there as well, like <laughs> just half done games and this and that. Um, but one game I came across was called Ninja Cat and I was like, oh boy, here we go. And I loaded up Ninja Cat, didn't hear anything <laughs> else about it, didn't read anything about it. Sorry, I'm it's, laughing because I pulled up video and I see like physical human, or not human, real life cats like in an alley like fighting. <laughs> oh my goodness. Sorry, continue. This game is is freaking awesome if you haven't played this you gotta you gotta download this on your pico 8 machine and play this it you play as a cat you are a ninja cat and you have it's almost like bionic commando style um you have kind of like a a a hook or whatever like a cord that you can throw and like connect to those little green hooks that you see up there you so you connect you connect collect these gold bars that you see and you can throw ninja stars and you're you're you try to beat these bad guys this player isn't very good he's terrible we're seeing in this video so or she you can you can connect you jump up in the air and you can connect to those hooks so you can get to that see this player doesn't even know how to get to that level so this is probably a bad example of the gameplay but i i have seen it i i played the game so yeah, so you just you hook and you just try to collect these gold bars, and then at the end you face these um, face these bosses at the end, and you you fight them, and you go to the next level. But I had so much fun playing this game. Um, I, I I I mean, I played it for hours, and then I put it I put I tweeted a thing online saying, uh, "This is my new Pico Eight obsession." I, I love this <laughs> I game. I saw that, and the. A guy jumped in there who has been. Uh, we've followed each other on Twitter for years. I think his name's. I th- I want to say Cyruk S A I R U K. Okay. And he goes, "Oh, cool! My son made that game." Oh, that's way cool. And uh, he has this. Th- he, I guess, he does Q- a thing called QB Games, um, where he designs Pico Eight games. I guess he's a game designer. I think he does other games too, but he does Pico Eight games as well. And. Um, he, it basically is a game and I, um, rumor has it, he's going to work on maybe some additional levels and, uh, and stuff. He asked for my feedback. So I said, well, you know, I had to go online to look for instructions on how to really play. And he said he might include that in future, like a little instruction area in the, in the beginning or something. Um, I don't know for sure, but, um, Man, I, I think this game is so cool. I mean, you basic. I'm sorry when I say bosses too. You you just get to the end. Oop, wow, I hit my mic. You get to the end and you find you hit that <laughs> thing and it goes up and you and you get the diamond. But your goal is to get to the end of the level and find the diamond and go to the next level. But there, it's almost like puzzle platform kind of deal. Um, there are no time ah. limits, which is uh, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> That's Eric's thing. Yep. Exactly, but man, I I got to tell you, I played this for a few ga- few days, and I loved every minute of it. I think it's awesome. So I couldn't find any uh, good video of it, so I'm just playing it now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I did. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. The one thing I talked to um, the guy's father about was like, th- yes, the basic gameplay is easy enough. So if you don't read the instructions, you can get through the game. But there are things where, like, when you throw your hook to connect to the link, if you press, I think it's up it retracts it faster so that you can like use it as a slingshot. Yeah, so you can, can throw yourself your around to different levels. 
But if you didn't read the instructions, you would have no idea that's there. You can hit up to make it slingshot faster. Um, so I think this game is amazing. I love it. I think it's one of the best games I've played on Pico 8. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I so I saw your tweet, and I knew you were digging this game. So I did mm-hmm. load it up, and my daughter, Claire, who you saw briefly earlier, Eric. Yeah. Um, she and and I played some of the game. And she actually, like, I saw her, like, platforming chops grow while we were playing this game. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, she started getting figuring out the hooks and the how to slingshot herself around, Got started getting a feel for the physics. And we actually ended up playing this for, like, a solid half hour. Um, yeah. Some of the bosses, though, were so hard that that's kind of what stopped me on it. Right. But I did love the the, the gameplay, the standard gameplay. Um, it starts out very linear and then eventually becomes kind of like going in and out of doors and stum- stuff, if I remember right. Um, I might be mixing two games together, but no. It was yeah, like, I don't remember any doors that I got oh, into, okay. but... Um, and, and it, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's probably... Uh, I mean, it's definitely in the top three games for me on Pico 8, and there's a lot of great games. I love Pico 8, and I love, I mean, a lot of the um, more strategy or card-style games I've found I really like. Um, but this is definitely in the top tier. And, that, and, and, and you know, the developer's dad, when he got we even were uh, private messaging in Twitter, and he was just asking for genuine feedback and how I found it, and... He seemed very proud of his son and very interested That's in his cool. son's career. And you told him so, you found it because you have a, a world-class, richer video game podcast and you're looking at ninja games. Exactly. That's exactly and what here's, I said. But here's the, the link. Invite your friends. The, the interesting thing is that um, I told him in the... I told him in the in the chat, I said, man, I wish I had a really good story for you on how I found this, but I was looking for ninja games because recovering ninja games and I came across it randomly. But um, <laughs> but uh, what, what better way to find it? And and uh, it, it was definitely the top ninja game that I found on Pico 8. So very cool. Yeah, that's six good games, Eric. Um, yeah. Do you have any honorable mentions you want to throw out there? Um. No, not really. I mean, I can't think of any off the top of my head. There, I mean, there's so many good ninja games. Obviously, there are. Obviously, uh, Ninja Gaiden, which we take a little artistic license from. Of course, um, I love those those the NES original games. Um, I haven't played any of the uh, the modern 3D ones, but I need to do that sometime. I've heard they're also great. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to mention uh, the Ninja, which was a game on the Master System. Right. Um, in fact, I I did play that for the show, even though we've covered I've covered it in our isometric uh, video game thing, yeah. so I couldn't cover it again. And speaking of isometric games, uh, there was a couple of people on on Twitter that suggested uh, the Last Ninja, of course, on the yep. Commodore sixty four. Um, I I never really gelled that much to that game because it was pretty slow to me. It's um, yeah, it's, but and it, it's kind of a puzzle game. It's almost like an adventure game before point and click adventures mm-hmm. were really a thing. Right, and it's a great, it's a good game, and I, it's a very highly regarded in Commodore sixty four. But it just, it, I didn't really want to jump in, jump there. You know what I mean? I'm not a big, I'm not big into puzzle games, so I didn't pick yeah. that one. I gotcha. Although it is cool in Last Ninja two, it starts with you on a balcony with a drum set, which I don't understand why you're on a balcony <laughs> and there's a drum set. But hey, right. cool. Um, so I wanted to cover that one. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game. Love that. I grew up on... Definitely. 100%. Because <laughs> I, I love that one, too. 
And I grew up um, on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original NES game. A lot of, pe- a lot of people have hate for that, but that, that was like my childhood. So I love that game as well. Yep. There was, uh, um, I mean, someday maybe we'll do Samurai uh, a there show, you go. Uh, Samurai show and, and I can include Bushido Blade because I, I do that. I spent a good month playing Bushido Blade and kind of getting really good at it. And it's a, it is a really, really cool combat game, but it's got so many cool twists to it. Was it this um, month, and then you realized it's not a ninja, and you cried right. for a day, and, and <laughs> then restarted all that, over but... again? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, yep. Eric, that is six good games, and that is just about a show. Uh, we have one special last treat. We recorded uh, us opening some gifts that Tim and I sent each other, and of course, Eric... Uh, got in on the action this time with uh, a few goodies he threw in as well and received. Uh, we recorded this before before Christmas or right after Christmas. I can't remember right now. I think it was before Christmas, but I don't remember. You're right. Gotcha. Yep. All right. Well, let's go ahead and play that, and then uh, we'll come back for a quick second to sign off, and then uh, we will see you guys next episode. Hello, and welcome to a special episode, if you want to call it that, of Pixel Guide In. I have my buddies here, Eric Nelson and Tim Drew. How are y'all? Doing well. I am doing very good. Thank you, Cody. And uh, as far as we're concerned, it's Christmas today because we've got packages. We have indeed. So uh, Eric and uh, and uh, Tim and I like to send packages back and forth, and uh, in this case... I am holding a package. Eric is at his house watching. I'm just watching, uh, yep, but I, I am very excited. And I sent uh, Tim something as well, and Eric threw a few goodies in there, so uh, we are just going to open stuff. People really enjoy listening to us open things, which is, I guess, fun. <laughs> <laughs> the Pixel Guide unboxing special. There we go. Tim, I'm going to ask you to turn your game down just a little bit. You are blowing up a little bit now, so... Um. I don't know who should go first. So I we already kind of know what's in mind. So maybe I'll go first because on the last episode of Pixel Guide, and you you showed us a couple things. Yeah, um, go for I it, did, Cody. I did I did some measurements on the on this box. It's twenty four by eighteen by eight. So uh, d- does that fit a BBC Micro? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're probably going to find <laughs> out, but it is a large box. <laughs> it'll fit pieces of a bbc micro just just fine (laughs) i have to assemble it it's a kit it's a kit i'm gonna go ahead and tear into this it's it's like the like the old zx80 you had to build them (laughs) yeah that's true that's true and i've got my commercial invoice on here so this is all um got uh, lots of future was 8bit.com tape all over it as usual (laughs) thank you very much to rod for supplying me with an endless supply of tape <laughs> a lot of people get excited because they see the Amazon smile yeah. on a box on the front porch. I get more excited when I see the future was eight bit. Yeah. <laughs> so according to this, once again, uh, faulty computer parts is what I have. It is. It's a box full of broken dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. So I am tearing into this bad boy. So we've got right off the bat here. We've got Cody with his great knife action going on here again. Now, keep in mind, 2020 has been such an excellent year <laughs> that I wouldn't be surprised. I should probably be careful with this knife because there's a very good chance I'm just going to like cut myself here live on audio. I think we'll be fine. Yeah, all over my... <laughs> okay. 
So here we go. So Cody's getting into the top of the box. It's very securely wrapped. So ah. my, my usual trying to do a good job, making sure everything gets there in one piece. Eric, I can see, is looking very pensive, very eager. What's in the box? <laughs> what, what's in the box? <laughs> Tim does make a good effort to pack things with um, as little actual packing material as possible. And uh, doing well so far, because I am holding yeah of Tim's new design, Pixel Guide in long sleeve t-shirts. There Look it is. That. Look. Yeah, Tim just uh, modeled oh, just, oh. <laughs> just re- took his jacket off to reveal the pixel guy shirt. shirt. <laughs> you just uh, uh, supermaned us. So there it is, all black with the logo, Retro Gaming Podcast. And on the back, of course, Eric, you want to read that? It says pixelguiding.com. It's dangerous to go alone. Love it. So I've got a couple here. Let's see. I've got three here. Yep, so there's three there. So there's two, one each for you guys. And um, there is a spare, which I think we were probably going to do some kind of giveaway on the show at some stage. I like this idea. That would be fantastic. And these are nice long sleeve t-shirts. Yep, perfect for this time of year. Even in sunny California, where it does actually get rather chilly sometimes this year. It's been straight fog for the last three days. Yep. And All right. All right. I don't know where. Ooh, there's little ones. There's wrapped ones. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> All right. I'm going to grab a couple things here. So, what have we got first? So, these are bits and pieces. Oh, yeah. So, you might want to leave those for a second. I'll leave those for a second. Yeah. Oh, there's one thing I am going to pull out, though, Eric. I see uh, something with pages and it smells nice. of. I can see on. the Zap logo. <laughs> Zap 64. Nope. Smells of the 80s and old bookstore. <laughs> no, that, that's just my house. <laughs> Got an episode oh, that, or an episode that, issue. That is the Whizball issue, the one that we yeah, issued in. Zap 64, which is a Commodore 64 magazine from the ancient days. I see some Iridium in here. Gosh, these things are cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's Whizball. Game called The Detective. Have you heard of that one? Yep. Way cool. Ariola Softer Detective or something along those lines. I seem to remember that one. Ariola Soft? Is that what you yeah. said? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is cool. Okay. IQ. All right, I'll move on. Zap 64. Now, this I have no idea. I have a couple of packages. They look similar. Right. So, all they there's are... four of those. And they those aren't labeled, are they, those ones? Those, those four are for your respective siblings so they are oh. your children for christmas that is <laughs> awesome open. tim that's a great idea that i didn't think of and now feel bad about <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> that's way cool so awesome i will put those off to the side and yeah they are wrapped in cute little teddy christmas, bear christmas. yeah christmas wrapped yep that's awesome Leave and it then to tim to be the classy one <laughs> something else that is full of pages and 80s bookstore smell so yeah, that's a that's a Crash magazine. Yes, Crash. Of course, were they the same company? They look very similar. Yes, were they, they were. The News, company? yeah, both done by Newsfield. Crash was slightly before Zap, um, but not not a lot more. Um, but yeah, Crash, of course, was the ZX Spectrum. That's it, right? Yep, or ZX so cool. Spectrum. <laughs> God, these are the magazines that uh, 
that Doug from 10 Minute Mega Retrocast doesn't appreciate, but I love them. Yeah, I love those. <laughs> There's no, definitely no Amiga in those ones. <laughs> Doug is too mature for these, but Eric and I and Tim obviously all uh, enjoy the uh, absurd, over-the-top gaming excitement in those magazines. All right, I tried to get uh, those magazines in every package for you because I know that you guys love reading those. I do. I I kick back and read them, the ones you sent us all the time. I love them. Awesome. Oh, hey, look. Uh, I've got a. Should I read this yet or should I move on Uh, to the other thing? Move on to other things first. Yeah. (laughs) I've got another package. This is heavier. Yep. Another Christmas wrap package. Now, they should be labeled. They are labeled. We got the Nelsons from the Druze and the Hoffmans from the Druze. Sweet. Sweet. So do we, do we hold off on these two, Tim? Do those go under the tree? Uh, entirely up to you, Cody. You can, o- you can open one if you want. I think, I think we should just open them. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. You can, you can even open mine by proxy. <laughs> well, if you open it's one, you more. open the other, basically. <laughs> I've tried to be so. fair. <laughs> so Cody is now opening, opening a present which has been completely wrapped in Christmas or holiday paper. Well, not a huge surprise, but still very much appreciated. Oh man, yeah, my daughter's gonna gonna be very very happy. She loves the crunchies. We have a nine pack of crunchy bars. Nice. And I don't know if you saw when I sent uh, um, Josh forty eight k RAM hit over his uh, Super Nintendo. Um, I yeah. sent a pack of crunchies, and he's actually I included the wrapper with it because I wrapped them individually as well. Um, and he's put the crunchy wrapper on his wall. Awesome. <laughs> 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 I, I, one thing I did want to mention, but I forgot to when we started. Uh, in typical Christmas fashion, I am on the floor like a giddy little child like tearing into my package. So uh, there's a reason we don't do audio on the show. And it's because, um, well, many, many, many factors, but I look ridiculous down here, but I am on my floor amongst boxes and garbage and dog hair. It's the traditional Christmas pose, isn't it? On the floor, unwrapping presents as quickly as you can. (laughs) All right. What else we get, Eric? Fudge. (laughs) Not just fudge, (laughs) That's what it does. Yeah, Cadbury fudge. Cadbury fudge, like a box of uh, there's a four. Is that a four pack? Five pack. Uh, Five. Five pack. Yep. Everything's always uh, in uh, odd numbers numbers for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Makes you Um, buy more. Now, if I remember, these had nothing to do with fudge. They were like a creamy vanilla center with chocolate over them, weren't they? Uh, Well, yeah, they are a fudge inside, but they're they're sort of like a smoother, creamier fudge. Yeah. They are my personal favorite. I like those better than crunchies. Oh, the, and that's, oh, those that's are very great indeed. Yes, it is. <laughs> and then my favorite by name alone, Eric. Yes, that is a curly whirly. Curly whirly. <laughs> Cadbury. You will so notice that some some of those wrappers are slightly. Um, a bit off and that's because they've had IPA sprayed and wiped all over them. So (laughs) (laughs) now IPA, do you mean beer? Uh, No, no, no. Well, maybe, but (laughs) the alcohol content, not quite high enough in some of the stuff I drink. (laughs) Funny. And then this one I have never heard of before. So this is an interesting one for me. It's called Cadbury Bourneville Old Jamaica Dark Chocolate Rum and Raisin. Yes. Now they, oh, yes. Those are, those are quite special because when I was actually in the shop, I didn't even know that they'd revisited those bars. 
um, and they they haven't been available for years and years and years, and I think they've just released them. So I literally bought up the whole stock of them because I love those. <laughs> so I thought you guys cool. have got to have some of those. They're, they're dark chocolate, so they're not milk chocolate, but they're still really, really nice. It goes really well with fruit, dark yeah. chocolate. Yeah, it is yummy. Nice. Well, thank you, so, sir. Eric, you've got exactly the same in that package coming to you. So, Thank don't, you very much. You are welcome. Don't tell the family. You can let them open and be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> all right i think unless you're magically hiding anything i think we are down to the big three the main here. event the main event so i'll read this which again tim was nice enough to type up a thing i'll pretend like uh shipping was so expensive that i couldn't add this piece of paper <laughs> but um says hey uh cody here is the beeb hopefully it will have got to you in good shape there are also some gifts for you all got there there are two present, presents with gift tags on them for you and Eric. D- got there. <laughs> and uh, individual gifts for your daughters and Eric's daughter and son. I will pass them along, Tim. All right, here we go. So as I read, I can do these things. Here's the first item. The Beeb has the SCART cable. So that is the first thing I'm holding here. It is from Retro Computer Shack, and this is they make all kinds of kind of custom vintage computer cables yep. over there in the UK. They are the, they are the cable supplier of my personal choice and a lot of people's choice. They do some really good quality stuff. And a, and a quick thing on that is I sent that one out. That's obviously that was my personal one. I didn't have a spare, so I oh. ordered that one the same day that I sent that package. And I think it was probably I don't know. Uh, half past 12 in the afternoon i ordered it and by literally 24 hours later he had shipped and sent and i had received th- uh, another brand new oh, nice. that was amazing service that is big old maiden britain logo right on it oh, so you yeah. can't forget it <laughs> i have now i have three or four of those cables from that guy um that i've sent over the years um and they do arrive pretty quickly they do i've never been disappointed and they they're all still working and they're all molded they're all quality like really good quality yep uh, yeah these these are nice very even, cool. um even now he's doing um amiga cables managed to get i think another um stock of 23-way d-type because for a while obviously with the amiga there wasn't any proper 23-way cable uh Correct. connectors so they had to cut 25s down um so he had a whole bunch of stock of 23s i think and then eventually went to 25s but i think he's got some 23s back again now i try to rip mine out but the cable i just got in to repair my amiga connection to my uh my monitor up there is a 25 cut down yeah. and it's chintz. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it works it works it does the job that's the main thing so you, uh, just, just before, I can't remember, Cody, have you got a way to connect SCART or do you have to change uh, the cable? I do because uh, of the Amstrad. When I got the Amstrad all set up, I had to get the the 18.0, whatever monitor I have back there, I always forget. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> the one that I sent you, wasn't it? Which was the, the, like the female SCART connector. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, cool. Good stuff. So you'd so be I good to go with that. that. And it'll work purely on my Amiga monitor, hopefully. Yeah. um all right and i'm going to back to the letter here and the s2 bbc right here included with instructions it's all fitted but please check before you power on that the roms are all in the right place like eric did when he was one of the chips popped out of the socket you know that that stuff happened (laughs) (laughs) i can't can't reach mine but i can uh 
zoom my there. There's mine right here. There you go. Look at that. You are SD to BBC buddies. <laughs> and the little right. pixelated owl on it is just classic. I love it. And I will say, I mean, that device is, is amazing. It's just plug and play works, works great. I mean, once you get the ROM all in there, um, it, it, it's a beautiful device. I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't give you any real, it just gives you a nice little clean menu and you just pick whatever game you want to play on there. Yep. And I love the art you did on the actual SD card. Yep. BBC. Little uh, like brother labeler that says BBC. BBC. Perfect. That's all right. The um, the really nice SD card I got with my uh, Spectrum Next. Yep. Yeah. Had the Spectrum logo and everything on it. And for whatever reason, while I was using it, it like failed to work in the Next at one point. All right. So I had to unplug it, put it into my computer, put everything on another card. Now another card works. So now I'm using the one that says Spectrum Next on it in my Commodore, which is just sacrilege. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take that out. Burn it. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. <laughs> so um, this, this uh, connector is really interesting, this little... Uh, yeah. You've got one of the older ones like Eric. Um, uh, Rod has changed the design on those now, so they are actually proper molded cables. But that was some of yeah. the earlier ones, which were sort of like, you know, um, done his best job. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it plugs, be- it plugs uh, uh, up underneath the BBC Micro. So you'll see it. It's kind of a unique thing that is, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, it's pretty, you know, most of our, our retro computers have all the ports in the back or some on the sides, but these are underneath. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, goes in the user port. Yep. And then you said, have a great Christmas. So I appreciate it. And you as well, sir. And then the last thing I see in here, which wasn't in the letter, though, Looks to be a joystick adapter of, of sorts. Correct. That's exactly the one I got, yeah. That is a so monster a- joystick, a BBC double nine-pin to analog port adapter. Pretty. It says monster joysticks right on it. Yeah. So. so you can yep. go and, if you if anyone's listening <laughs> that happens to have a BBC micro, <laughs> you can get those from monsterjoysticks.com, and they are awesome right. adapters. They do do the job really, really well. So, Cody, what is that you've just pulled out of the box now? Stop with the teasing here and uh, get to the main event. So, Cody is now slicing away at some packaging <laughs> with his not knife. made of chocolate bars. <laughs> to my knowledge, <laughs> we are getting close. We are getting very close. We're ra- Cody is racing through the packaging as we speak. Christmas, <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> there it is. Oh, it's pretty. There we Man, go. you're right. That isn't really nice shape. Look at that thing. It's a handsome a, machine. A BBC Model B. Wow, though. And you were showing me the inside of this thing, and I love how the power supply. <laughs> we were talking about this. There's wires all over the board. It looks like a whole bunch of bodge cables, yeah, but but it's it not. The power supply. That's how it connects. It is a simple a and practical design. <laughs> it literally took all the three voltages. It looks like of power. It looks like. Uh, plus five, negative five, and positive twelve. Yeah, and the, the power leads just literally run to the point on the board where they want it, and they're just soldered directly to that point on the board. No, they're, <laughs> they're not even soldered. You, they're on put, push on and pull off clips. Oh, oh, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. I don't know if you call them like crocodile clips or something like that. They're like electrical clips, so it's relatively easy to take them on and off, which is essential really with the BBC because um, you have to uh, recap that power supply. So that 
that was the slight delay on getting that one to you um, was that power supply has now been recapped for you. So you don't have to worry about that. So you can turn it oh, wow. in the knowledge that you are not going to get the magic blue smoke from the reefer cap. <laughs> that is awesome. The only thing is at this point, what I have to do is figure out how to plug it in because it does come with that. Yes. So I will work on that. I think Eric had a solution though. You, you bought an adapter, right, Eric? A little- I just bought a converter. Yeah, I mean, I, now you can convert those internally so that they'll just take uh, the U.S. standard. And it's not very hard from what I read. But I know that down the road, I'm, I'm going to try to collect more and more devices for the U.K. plug. So I do. I just went and got a converter and you can get them cheap on Amazon. I mean, I, I, I didn't spend but like 20 bucks or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do the same thing. I just think it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Plug, I want to plug this in every time. I want to. Yep. So you're you're going to need a step up, whereas we need a step down here. <laughs> yep. Yep. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to play some Fire Track on this thing. Yes. Yeah, Fire Track is really good. Now you did play that after the fact. Is it better on the Beeb or on the uh, Commodore? I think they both have their merits. Actually, um, the BBC, I yeah. think, is probably more authentic because i think that's the platform that it was written on originally and then probably ported across and tweaked a little bit on the 64 um but you know you can you can really see the similarities of the two um so i don't know if uh, maybe people haven't maybe who might be listening to this that aren't aren't yet got to our episode where we cover fire track yet um, so just for it, just for completeness, that is our battle of the systems coming up. Absolutely. Now, the one last thing I will say about this is, so when I uh, got my A1200, Amiga 1200, um, I decided I no longer need my A500 because I just have too many Amigas that do the same thing. So I'm sticking with my A1200. I'm sticking with my A600, which Tim sent me because it's the PAL A600. So I have this huge A hundred or eight five hundred space on the wall here that I need to fill up, and uh, it's because I have these little brackets that hold my computers on the wall, and this is the only one I have on the wall with the huge brackets to fit the huge A five hundred, and I didn't know what I was going to put in that place. It's full now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is you're, the beast that it will fit in that spot. You'll probably so. need to reinforce the wall to put the BBC on there. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's got power built in. That's true. So yeah. it's got a little more copper. Yeah. They are, awesome, they are sturdy so, and robust machines for sure. <laughs> to the point where you have to roll the R. Yeah. <laughs> robust. Right. All right, Tim, I appreciate it. It is time for you to get down on your knees and uh, open some presents. Okay. Or however you're going to do it. <laughs> Let's see. I've got to try and get this so i got the right angle with the package with the microphone. Right. How we doing? Does that look all right? That looks yep. great. Okay. Just keep the box there. Okay. All right. So now Tim is doing the cutting and slicing. I am opening the box. The box. Feels wrong doing any of this without gear. That's correct. We have some bubble wrap. Yep, I, I do actually wrap things with uh, actual bubble wrap. <laughs> First thing okay, I can we... see is Danica is going to be very, very pleased. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Not that I don't like them as well, because I do love them, but we've got some goldfish baked snack crackers, the blasted extra cheddar flavor. I love those. Thank you very much. <laughs> good on American thing. We take something that's good and we say extra. <laughs> extra on it. What, where, where should I go next? Which one? 
I, you know, I really anything but the white box. Anything but the white box. Right. Okay. By the way, I do apologise. Um, I didn't send any beer in that box, but it was heavy enough as it was, and uh, it was. <laughs> I just wanted to just get that out to you guys. So I do apologise. There will be beer on oh. the next run. <laughs> <laughs> no expectation. In fact, when we were about to, Eric wanted to throw some beers in this one. I'm like, just keep it to to a couple because, <laughs> you know, the couple dollar beers are going to become ten dollar beers by the time we're done. Shipping is very expensive right now. If you guys don't know. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> so this is the one that I've wanted to try. So this is the Cali Creamin. So this is this is the orange creamsicle beer. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. That was my uh, runner-up for for beer of the year. Yeah, I'm really keen to try this one. This looks really good. Thank you very much. Very pleased with that. I agree that it is a good beverage. Yes, it is a good beverage. Not necessarily yes. a good beer, but it's a good beverage. <laughs> <laughs> my opinion. I know Eric. Eric likes it as a beer, but um, I just have to keep that mindset that if it is, it is desserty and beveragey. Oh, lovely. So we've got two of those. Thank you very much. Got two of those. One's for Danica. Good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Although she honestly would like it, but yeah. Don't, she, would don't love the, she would love it, I guarantee you. Well, we, we were walking up the road because I know that you said that, it, that I might, <clears throat> might get something in it. And we were walking up the road yesterday and I said, well, there's a box that's just turned up and it's got um, a, a creamsicle beer in it. You go, creamsicle? That sounds disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> It's, it's well, because, I don't know. When I, it's because I drink cream soda and she absolutely hates it. So she kind of like. Oh, like, okay. Um, sort of like um, associates it with that. So what do oh, we've got the, the, is it the correct pronunciation, the Ghirardelli? Yep. Yep. So we've got some chocolate. So we've got the peppermint bark. Yeah. Got the bite sized minis of those. They look really nice. I think we had those last year, actually. And. Uh, what's this one? So this is more Ghirardelli squares. Uh, yep, those are assorted chocolates. Oh yes, and um, oh yeah. So they've got the caramel ones, um, and the mint ones. Yeah, and the dark chocolate. Very nice. Thank you very much, guys. That's excellent. Gonna enjoy those. That's for sure. What's next? El cylindrical. Oh, I think we've got a tall boy here. Is that the correct terminology? <laughs> that is, yes. Yeah. That's a tall boy. Oh, that's the um, so that's the East Brother Beer Company Red Lager uh, in Richmond from Richmond, California. Yep. So pretty close to here. Have you had this one on the show? I think you have, I don't need the the red. You had that. Do you do you remember if we had that on the show, Cody? I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember either. But I remember um, a red, but maybe maybe not. So it's a vanilla style. Amber with a biscuity malt presence. Clean, crisp, familiar. Eventually, yes. the ship comes in. <laughs> Very nice. I like it. It's a good, I think it's a good one. So whether we had it or not, I think you will enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Very nice. Richmond is a great place to drive through. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> you don't want to stop. You just want to drive through. Okay. So next we've got Atomic Fireball Candy. <laughs> Yes. I was trying to think what what very American things, and I always think about baseball as a kid. Um, and for whatever reason, over here, when you played baseball, you went to the snack booth and tried to buy the candy that was the hardest to consume. Either it was way too sour or way too hot or way too something. 
So this time I went for the atomic fireballs, which are supposed to be way too hot. So enjoy the entire bag. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they they even smell hot. Yeah. So one of my uh, British friends over here uh, told me that there's not a lot of that red cinnamon candy flavor over there. No. No. That's true. Okay. No, there's, there's a lot over here. I can think of a couple of other yeah, things. Red that hot. That. And, yeah. Uh, even a big red gum. We've got some Jolly Ranchers. Thank you very much, guys. Those would be really enjoyed. We enjoyed that last packet you got. So thank you very much. Perfect. Perfect. They got, uh, what's it? Oh, yes, the watermelon. I really like those. Those are really good. Thank you very much. It's actually kind of hard to fly, find the normal flavors now because they're all like weird, you know. Right. Pastel flavors or uh, yeah, fruity tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we, we just don't have them over here anymore. They've just stopped selling them for some reason. I don't know why. Right, huh. where am I going next? So do I go the small white box or do I go the 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 one with the Amazon smile on it? Get the smile out. <laughs> to take the smile out. Now, I'll be honest. I'm hoping I remember this right. So give that thing an open and uh, okay. So here we go. So I have got a, um, a p- package with an Amazon smile on it. And inside, it looks like something with a Fuji logo on it. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yes. <laughs> you did no, remember, my friend. You really did. Okay. Good, good. So what are you holding there? Dan? I have an Atari... XE 130 or the 130XE that is absolutely fantastic that is exactly what I wanted thank you very much guys now I think it could use one one more day of retro writing but it's in pretty good uh now the funny thing is I can show you the pictures of when I got that if you remember them and it was literally in pieces yep and I thought there was no way that thing was going to work and I cobbled that thing together and cleaned it out blew it out and um it all runs <laughs> it's a it's a solid working one it has that brand new membrane i had to i had to buy and find it looks great it looks in good shape it is it's good yeah i i need to be honest with you i don't mind the yellowing on systems i think it's just that authentic patina isn't it it's it's just it's it's glowing isn't it <laughs> it's got that atari glow <laughs> There you go. Well, the other one I have has yellowing, but it's not even. That one's nice and even. Yeah. It's like a nice cream color, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you very much. So of course, that is of course that's NTSC. And of course, it's a 120 volt uh, power supply, which I didn't include because that's really heavy. Yeah. Um, nor do I have one. So I apologize. You're going to have to get creative on how to power that up. Yeah. You may or may not have something already. Will it not um, work from the standard eight, uh, 800XL power supply then? I believe it does, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. Yeah, yep. yeah I've got one or two of those. <laughs> so, of course, if there's anything you tried to load up where it says can't support it, 128K needed. Yeah. Now you got uh, it. That'll do it. Um, but, yeah, yeah do it. that is fantastic. That is brilliant. Thank you, guys. So I've got one last box here, which is a, a white box. Aha. <laughs> I was just about to say, I know what I now need to get next. <laughs> <laughs> now you don't. <laughs> so in this box, I believe that's just the uh, yeah the it's catalog. catalog. So from from the catalog, I can see this is the Brewing Academy, where Cody paid a visit not too long ago. 
and we had had a um, a very great explanation of all that. That was really good to hear. So that is the Brewing Academy, and of course, one of their products that they sell, and actually, I think they make there themselves. Do they not? They yeah, they made this one right there, there and then for you. Um, is the FujiNet? got his own specific cartridge cover because he has three different options and this one of course looks like trying to hold that away from the mic because that's crinkling a bit (laughs) (laughs) sorry about that there we are yeah it matches the case for the 130xe that's awesome that is absolutely brilliant i should have had had him uh sun bleach it a little bit try to make it match you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now I'm, I'm part of the um development like discord and um and uh twitter feed or whatever it is twitter messaging and they are working on a ton of uh, and they already have i think three done um multiplayer games that we now that we all have fujinets we could load them up get on discord synchronize we connect to each other's ip addresses and we can do multiplayer games using it oh cool fantastic i can't wait do you know what i really want to do with this I want to look up yeah, the yes. weather. Yes, <laughs> I need to look up the weather. Yeah, I literally just got to that part of the of the episode where you were talking about. Oh it, yeah, and I, I'm I'm pretty sure I saw it. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, the uh, the uh, International Computer Club um, that our friends over on the um, Amigos Retro Network did. Um, and I think it was Doug had that running in the background on, must've been on, uh, on his Atari. Um, so yeah, I, I, I looked at that and I thought, no, no, it was, um, it was boat who had it. That's right. Um, and I wonder what the heck is generating that. And then I heard you guys talking about it and I thought, oh, right. That, that's something I've got to do. <laughs> Why? Because you can. <laughs> because you can, exactly. Thank you very much, guys. That is yeah. absolutely awesome. I really, really appreciate that. Awesome. Well, that's about anything. Do you have anything to add, Eric? <laughs> no, I was very. It's, I'm looking forward to grabbing the goodies. And now Eric and I are, are uh, BBC twins, or triplets, along with Tim. Now, yep. so yeah, exactly. We're going to have to do a future episode, including uh, BBC games. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've definitely got to dive into those. And then you've got um, Elite to be able to play as well. I mean, that is just an amazing game. Uh, it's on everything but this is the one that started it yeah that's that's right yeah it just feels feels right on the bbc um feels wrong playing on anything else to me (laughs) it's just 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 one of those games and revs and chucky egg on the bbc is like the de facto version mind you i did play it on the msx the other day and there's a fantastic version of chucky egg on the msx um so that's well worth giving it a go but um yeah we, awesome. we are ready and set for BBC and Atari action. Well, Merry Christmas, y'all. And it's been a great year, and I look forward to 2020. Yep. Merry Christmas, guys. <laughs> 2021. Be careful. <laughs> if we have to do that again, I don't know if I can do it. I, I don't want to do over of 2020. <laughs> yeah. All right, Eric, we are back live here, and... Uh, very cool again that uh, we're able to go ahead and send packages halfway across the world with goodies for each other. Yeah, it's always uh, fun. I always love opening those packages, seeing the goodies. So thanks again, Tim. And uh, let's just go ahead and mention that next show, which will come out on January 30th. We have a few more uh, cool segments for you guys, as we usually do. 
uh, we're going to go ahead and do a Cody's Corner. I get to do a Cody's Corner, which I talk about um, my history, which I notice a lot of other podcasts are doing and people love it. So I decided to talk a little bit about my history awesome. with a an often ignored system here in America, but much beloved overseas, and that is the Sega Master System. Cool. Um, and then uh, we will have a game show. We're, gonna, of course, going to have Tim on the show for uh, the majority of the episode. And we are going to do a battle of the systems between a couple of very insect-based shmups. Apidia on the Amiga and on the Sega Genesis, Eric? Insector X. Insector X. Insector uh, X. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we hope to see you guys in 15 days here. Thank you very much for listening. And in the meantime, it's, it's dangerous, dangerous to go, to go alone. alone. Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1149. You can reach Tim Drew as well on Twitter at sanction. That's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If you are interested in supporting the show financially, please join us at our Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com. <laughs>